Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another episode of The Edge Podcast. We are excited to be joined today by our first guest in 19 episodes. This gentleman is a legend in the StudentWorks community. Growing his business from $91,000 to $801,000 over a six-year period before entering into ProWorks painting and having a record-setting $1.42 million first year. Our guest is now dipping his toes into the waters of multiple different business and investing ventures. During his journey, he has grown so much as a business owner, person, and role model. We would like to give a nice warm welcome to John Morgan III. How are you doing, John? Yeah, pretty good, man. Pretty good. That's good. Thanks for coming on today. Tell me a little bit about your journey with StudentWorks, John, because you and I first met in 2017, which would have been, I believe, your third year and you were already starting to make some waves on the leaderboards. I didn't really know much about who you are or what you had done until I met you in Mexico. Yeah, I think I remember that actually. Yeah, I remember, I think you and I were talking about, um, it it, it was a a theoretical island question, wasn't it? Uh, The blind guys on an island. I don't remember that actually. What was the blind guys on an island? (laughs) (laughs) It was the color of the eyes. it was the the riddle of if there are oh yeah on islands yeah and one person has yeah 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 I I did someone I think someone knew the answer to that riddle though and they like you know like you know when like you like ask a riddle and then like someone like clearly knows the answer but they try and feign as if they don't they're like oh wow what a tough riddle that is like man you'd have to be really intelligent to know the answer to that one jeez <laughs> fuck I don't know. And then they like, make like a bunch of like really bad guesses and then they like, just like come up with one. They're like, ah, dude, you knew the whole time. I think that was like one of those situations. <laughs> that was Nick. That was Nick Weisberg's who that was. Yeah, 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 yeah. He like knew the answer the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Dude, my first experience with you in Mexico too, like I, I'd never talked to you. I remember we're like sitting on the catamaran and you just look at me and you're like, what are you about? <laughs> I, was like, yeah. what, what, I was like, who are you? <laughs> like, What kind of question was that? But sure. I was like, I was so taken back. I was like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, what, what is that supposed to mean? Like, what are you about? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> oh, it was, it was funny. I suppose. What, what, what? How would you answer that question now? Like, what, like, if, if someone was like, Yo, Riley, what are you about? What would you say now? Uh, well, I'd probably talk like a bit about like more like about myself and like you know like the growth I've seen. Kind of talking about like more about my. Um, my passions, I guess, but like at the time, I had absolutely no idea how to answer it. <laughs> no I like context, not, yeah. not, not. I, I was like the first time I've ever talked to you. Like obviously, I knew you were like a big hitter um, in the company and stuff. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Like my name is Riley. I'm from Calgary, and like I, I play soccer. And what else do you want to know? And you're like, oh, it's just interesting. That's an interesting way to answer the question. And then like that was it, and you just walked away. And I was like, oh, okay. What a great first interaction that was. <laughs> Yeah, I would say like like when you talk about my student works journey, I think one of the things that like you wouldn't really know now, like because like if if you just met me now, like I'm I'm like reasonably normal, but like certainly uh, even Connor, like even you would have introduced like so you would have you would have been uh, you would have met me. I would say like well, you met me like three years because I we didn't meet until the end of my third year, right? Yeah. So even you met me like I would say like pretty 
far along in my personal development journey, like even just from an individual standpoint, like, because that was one of the interesting things uh, about student works for me was like, like, yes, I was growing my, like, so I grew my revenue like every year, but then there was also like a, a certain point, I think it might've even been like at the end of my second year or even like somewhere during my third year. I remember, do you guys remember Brennan Stevens, like the super yeah, yeah. Yeah. district yeah. manager? Yeah. I remember one year, I mean, he was always such a nice guy to me, you know, but, but I remember like one time he like very gently, you know, like had kind of nudged towards the fact that like, Hey, yo, you should probably like improve your, your character a little bit. Cause I remember one, one time I was <clears throat> talking about like growing my revenue or something like that, or, you know, like. I think I, I think I was even saying like, man, I don't know how I'd even grow anymore. Like I think I'm at the peak, you know, and it's like doing like 200,000 or something like that at the time. And he was like, well, have you ever considered that like maybe you might want to grow in other areas other than revenue? And it was just like a little subtle way of basically just being like, you know, you're kind of questionable as far as your characters, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like, I remember uh, there was even like some people that like, like, so, do you know who has probably has a super interesting perspective on me is Ryan Beach. Interesting. How so? Well, because Ryan and I were rookies together, right? And so so he knew me, like, Ryan probably, other than Corey, Ryan probably has, like, the most full picture of of my journey in that sense. Because, like, when I'm, like, I remember, like, me, like, man, like, Ryan and I, like, because Ryan actually taught me how to spray, like, and, and whatnot. Like, Ryan taught me a lot in my first year. Because he was, like, rookie of the year, um, did really well. And then I was, like, I because I he was in Vernon and I was in Kelowna, so, like, a 45-minute drive. So him and I got to interact a lot over the over the years, and just just through proximity, but also like driving to like uh, driving to Vancouver together multiple times, like for various student works events and things like that in his truck, and just kind of seeing him over. So he 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 would have a more full picture of like the full development because the revenue doesn't really tell the full story, right? Like there's the there's the character side no. of of the growth. Yeah. Here's a question. If uh, if Beach was still like if he was still running a franchise, maybe he went into ProWorks just like do you. Do you guys think he'd be on a very similar level, or do you think you would have like still surpassed him at like where you are currently? Well, the thing about Ryan is, um, him and I certainly have different, um, I think, different motivators, and the, the the type of business that Ryan would run versus what I would run, I think, would be much different. I think Ryan would run a much more, um, much more polished business. And I think that the focus would also be a lot different. I think Ryan would, would pro- I think Ryan would have earlier on probably had a much better work-life balance. And I think that he would have gone after larger jobs, like more stratas and things like that. Ryan's, uh, I think that the focus would have been a lot different. So in that sense, I think in a, from a revenue perspective, I think I think I, I would beat him just through sheer grit. But I think from a from a but I, but the, but there but there was definitely some things that Ryan would beat me on as far as work life balance goes earlier on yeah cool how do you think your focus has changed as you grew throughout Studentworks well you know interesting enough I, I would say that the biggest change in my focus has been from the money like I, I like I, I think about it so I actually think about this quite often like when I first started um like all I talked about and all I thought about was money like and like appearances. Um, like I wanted to appear successful. I wanted to speak as if I was successful. I wanted to, um, you know, I was always like focusing, like, I mean, literally every single job that I completed, I would like instantly go to track my profit before the job even finished. Like I was always just calculating my profit or always, always focusing on, on, on dollars. Right. And 
So net, net whereas nowadays those things, I mean, and some people may say, well, that's just because you you know you do you you do more revenue, be so you know you don't have to necessarily think about some of those numbers as much. But I would almost, but I'd actually argue that the reason why I'm doing such large revenue is because I'm not so focused on every little nickel and dime, right? Like I think that, um, interesting enough, like as I've focused on trying to build a better business in general, so like, uh, you know, just in, in, in one way or another, like just treating my employees better, um, you know, treating my customers better, just all around, just having a better experience for everyone that interacts with my business, that in of itself has actually just generated more profits in of itself, rather than me like just sitting there, like actually like calculating constantly, just profit, profit, profit. So that, that's, a, that's a massive change, right? To where I am now. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Like uh, I remember I was talking with Jordan about like the profitability um, concept and like how if you try and like short your painters or like, you know, don't, you don't want to pay your painters as much, like you actually end up making less money because when you pay people yeah. better and like your job price is going to be higher and they're going to be happier and they're going to be making more and want to work hard for, harder for you, which is going to lead to more referrals and, and all these things. And it actually adds up to being like a much more profitable business, but you have to get over like that first uh, mindset of like, Oh, like I need to like worry about every penny in my profit. Yeah, for sure. Right. And what's interesting too, is that uh, the, like I, when I look back at like how hard I had to work earlier on because I was so focused on profit percentage in particular, uh, it's insane. Like I like versus how much I have to work now, like for like how, like how many hours I have to work or, or in other words, like how much I get paid per hour worked now versus when I was, it's, it's just not even comparable at all, right? I mean, I'm just so much more efficient, not only just through becoming more skillful and, and, and becoming better at my craft, um, but also just because I'm willing to pay more to get more, right? Like I'm willing to pay my guys more to have them do more tasks for me. I'm willing to, you know, pay a general manager, um, you know, use better, you just you even just use better paint. Like, you know, like it was like, like just yeah. basic things like that, right? So um, yeah, it's interesting. When you don't focus on profit, you tend to make more profit. Yeah, yeah it's strange, right? <laughs> yeah. And even uh, something that I remember Corey telling me that you said one day to him was that it was, it was a comment to people who are worried so much about their profit percentage early on. And he said that you had said that people don't have a... Um, that they don't yeah. have a royalty problem they have a revenue problem i've always been a big believer that people don't and i but now here's the thing though it's like there's there's definitely different camps here you know like i think that like if 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 anyone was to ever like if i had to like sum my like my my like way of being in life in one sentence it probably would be that it would be that i've always focused on on revenue Right, like a, like a like a, a solving the revenue problem. Right, I, I think that in so yeah. much, but in in all aspects of life, I think just doing more. Right, like because revenue is the top number. Right, so it, yeah, so I think always just doing more will typically would just it's just it's it's the easiest way to yield more results. Now it's not always pretty, you know, <laughs> right? Like you know, you you tend to make a lot a lot more mistakes that way when you're going more for volume and and whatnot. But like it's 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 kind of like a uh i don't know it's it's it requires less skill let's put it that way yeah uh, absolutely and that's one thing that i've always noticed about you is that when you get into something you aim to do it the best that you possibly can even there was a period where you were super into football and you were into the minnesota vikings you knew 
fucking every staff yeah, possible yeah, in yeah, Minnesota yeah. Vikings. And then you got super into running, and you were running these – you borderline ran, almost ran an ultra, didn't you? And you, you, convinced, you somehow convinced, like, 15 people to run a half marathon with you in a 45-minute podcast episode. And then now you're just really into the ProWorks business and investing and everything else. So it's just like I feel like you, from the time that I've known you, have always been really into just seeing how far you can push the balance. Yeah, kind of. I mean – it doesn't seem like it, like from the outside, like I think it, like when I, when I reflect on my life, it seems like that's like, that's an easy conclusion to make. But w- what I find actually so fascinating is people's perceptions of, of myself um, and like what people like perceive as how I live my life versus how I actually do. Um, and, and also like thinking, like even today I was actually thinking about that. Like, cause I was kind of like, I was kind of considering like whether or not I'm actually like tired at all. And because it it, is, it doesn't really feel like I'm like pushing myself, quote unquote, but like not like in a in like a in a weak way. Like I remember, like I remember, like in previous years, like like if I wasn't like suffering, you know, like as in like if there wasn't like just like blood in my shoes, for example, like it was like I wasn't pushing hard enough. And over the last like two years, that's like that's another like kind of change that I've kind of thought about is like it's kind of fascinating how much you can achieve by actually just trying to like stay in a state of bliss or like, like, or like I like the word equanimity, which is like effectively just like a, a, like a constant state of peace and, and uh, clear mindedness because for the first many years of my stu- like almost my entire student works career, I would, if I was to sum up like one song that I would listen to, to like get me going was like many men by like 50 cent. Right. Like it was like a, you know, like that was my mentality. Like Classic. it was like chip on my shoulder. Yeah. Like just like, t- you know, take no names. Like this is war. Like we're going to like, you know, like I'm going to, yeah, like this is like, we're going to fight to the death. Right. Whereas interesting enough, like, cause I'd always had this fear that if I let up on the just like pure masculine aggressiveness that I would like lose my edge. That was always like my fear, you know, like that, that if I like that, if I wasn't, if I wasn't suffering and, you know, like physically and mentally, then I wasn't, and if, it, you know, if I wasn't quote unquote giving it my all, uh, that I would, that I would, that I would lose my edge and that I would, I wouldn't get the results. And last year in particular, uh, so this was my first year with ProWorks, I remember thinking, Cause I, when I did eight, when I did eight hundred one, like that seemed like a, like a big number. And I was like, fuck, how am I going to get, you know, getting over a million seems like really scary to me. And I actually, for the first time, I didn't really set a goal. It was kind of like, and some people thought it was kind of like this, like cheeky thing where I was like, oh, I, I'm going to set an estimate kind of thing, which is like basically like a goal. But really what that was about was, um, I, I didn't want to have any pressure of quote unquote pushing myself because it's interesting because when you think about when people talk about pushing themselves, there has to be a comparison to what, right? So like if you just went for a run and you had no idea how long you were going to run for, when do you know you're pushing yourself? Like when you start feeling pain? Well, like, but like maybe, I don't know. Like it's, it, so it's, it, 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 when I didn't want to set a goal per se that I would, I, that I'd have a benchmark against, right? As in like I'm 50% to something, Right. And so what I, what I tried focusing on was actually just, okay, well, what if I was actually just to get 
world-class at what I do? Like, what if I was to just become the best at what I do? Like, what if I was an amazing recruiter? What if I was, uh, you know, an amazing production, you know, manager? What if I was, I mean, ultimately just a better business person. What if I was doing the best initial calls? Like, what if everything I did within my business, I just did at the highest level and all I focused on was just being the best version, right? So not so not not so much quote unquote pushing myself because there was no pressure. It was it was it was not coming from the many men, you know, just give it your all attitude. It was it was actually coming from more of a state of peace of like there was a certain elegance um, and in like blissfulness to the fact that at any given moment I had nothing to worry about because all I had to do is actually just try and do my best. There was no there was no attachment to any results. It was just hey, you know what? We're just going to, we got an hour of initial calls. We're just going to try and go through every single one of them. Let the results may be where they are, right? Which is a different mentality than I'm going to fucking book these initial calls. It's just a different thing, right? Yeah. And to my surprise, I actually blew past what I thought I was capable of. Like I was like, when I I did my estimate, I was like, I did all my math for everything I could possibly think of that I, you know, I could do. And I ended up doing about maybe about like 15, 10 to 15% more than my, my estimate, which was 50% growth already. Right. So it was, it was pretty shocking. And, and this year it was similar too, right. Where I was like, man, how the hell am I going to grow? Right. And I'm like, fuck. And, and I just returned back to that same, that same kind of state where it's like, you know what, like rather than trying to work hard, what if I just try and get really good at what I'm doing? Like, like, does it actually matter if I sit down and make seven hours of phone calls? What if I was to just sit down for two and do the most incredible calls for two hours? Sure. Right. Rather than this, like this suffering and, and, and pushing against uh, uh, fate. And so far, the results have been fucking ridiculous. Like it's it's just shocking, actually. Right. And so, yeah. And, and like, where did that mindset like derive from? Because obviously, like most people set a goal and I, I'm sure Corey, like your business coach would have wanted you to set a goal so like where where did that come from i think a lot of it came from just like a lot of the mental suffering that i've faced over the years right like i i i didn't want to have to like um like i I didn't want to have to feel pain anymore like like even just like not only mentally but also just physically right like i was just like sick and i was sick and tired of that i was like you know what like like there was a there was a part of me that was like i had to like lose a part of myself of like not wanting to like like that aggressiveness like that was a big part of me and you know there's still obviously it's still there. It's not like it's, you know, it's not like I just threw the, you know, the baby out with the bathwater, but <laughs> I, um, I wanted to live a different lifestyle, right? Like I, I, I didn't want to have to, you know, wake up as stressed as I was, or, you know, th- like there's like, there's, this, there's this, like, there's this, uh, like David Goggins mentality. That I feel like that's really kind of ripping through society right now. Right. And I think there's a time and place for it. Right. I mean, it served its purpose, but, but certainly as far as that being like a, like one thing that I don't think people talk about in that specific situation is I don't know if you want to live in that. Like it's one thing to use that at certain moments in your life, but I don't know if you want to live in that pain, right? Yeah. And uh, so mm-hmm. that was, that's, I just decided I didn't want that anymore, right? And, and like, do you feel like, you know, transitioning more to like a ProWorks um, long, longer term kind of position is what like made that change? Because like typically like, you know, Stumerks, a lot of people stick around for, you know, two, three, four years, whatever. And, you know, if they grind and like work super hard, they can make a good amount of money, you know, get, get a great, um, 
level of experience for the resume to go do whatever afterwards do you think it's like because like in that short short term portion of their life they're okay to grind super hard but now that you're obviously looking a little bit more longer term it's kind of transitioned your mindset in regards to like what you want yeah for sure i mean uh like earlier on in my student works career it's it's uh it's fascinating how short-sighted i really was you know like in, in the way that i was treating people uh you know whether it be my personal relationships whether it be work relationships either clients or or painters and how much i left on the table right and like it's interesting how the best use of profits is not necessary is not necessarily to put you put the money in your own pocket right um, there's actually a quote that I have just off to my left here that I'll read out because I, I really like it. I gave it to my business partner as well, Tristan. Um, and it's a it's a Cyrus the Great quote. And uh, I really like this one, which is that uh, success always calls for greater generosity. Though most people lost in the darkness of, the, of their own egos treat it as an occasion for greater greed. Collecting loot is not an end itself, but only a means for building an empire. Riches would be of little use to us now, except as a means of winning new friends. And I think that when you look back over history at the, the greatest leaders and the greatest conquerors, there's been many conquerors that have acquired land. And cool, right? Like you'll be known as a good conqueror. The people that I'm most impressed with are not the ones that just conquer the land, but they're the ones that then rule over the lands. And that's the difference between short-term and long-term mindset. The aggressiveness that I once used, and this was this was a, I don't want to say a realization because it was kind of a slow burn. It was kind of like the frog in the water. It wasn't like I just woke up one morning. I was like, damn, I need to be thinking more long-term. It was, it was a, it was a, it was progression there, right? But I just. I really think that in order for me to achieve the things that I want to achieve in, in my life, like to not only conquer, but also to rule over those lands, I have to change my mentality and I have to think more long-term. And uh, I won't be able to do that just by having that sheer aggressiveness conquer mentality. There has to be a strategy behind it. You know, you have to, you have to have allies along the way, right? You need to have people on your side, right? You have to win over the populace, right? So um, those are things that I definitely think about a lot. And and student works intrinsically has a bit of a sh- sh- short, uh, a bit of a finite game aspect to it in the sense that like you're, you know, you're only maybe around for a year or two. Definitely. But it's so fascinating though, how the people that I consider the most successful in student works, the ones that I think got the most out of it, and the people that I in hindsight, looked up to the most were usually the ones that were playing the long game. You know, someone who comes to mind early on in my student works career that I really looked up to and I thought they were playing a long game uh, was Aaron Josephi. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, you, I don't know if, she, I think she might have been before your guys' time, but she was like, for me, she was the original record holder, right? Because she, in my, in my rookie year, I, I believe she did 473. And I remember a very quick story on Aaron. I remember at the end of her first year, I remember hearing that her and her 
I don't know if they were married at the time, maybe not. But her, anyway, her and her boyfriend, I think maybe fiance, Paul. Paul, they had bought like an apartment complex or whatever, like in Prince George. Like, like a, I think it was like a fourplex or a sixplex or something like that. But either way, it was like it was a real estate investment. Like you know, it was it was like they were landlords, you know. And uh, then they had gone and like traveled the world for like I don't know if it was a full year, but it seemed like a long time. And I thought that was just the coolest thing ever, right? Um, that you know, because they clearly plan that out. You don't just randomly buy a building and then go travel. Like that's you have to think about that, right? Um, and I remember Corey saying that, uh, and I don't know if this part was true, but I thought it was so badass. Uh, apparently, like she like had like a check that she left at at the uh, she like left some money in her account or whatever, and there was a check waiting for her when she came back from her trip for like five grand. Like as in that was just like. Like she had made so much yeah, money that's that cool. five grand. Like she didn't need it, you know what I mean? And I remember like looking up to her and that was so cool, right? And then I saw some people afterwards, you know, that did some like really would say short-sighted things. And as of right now, you know, it didn't pay off for them in the same way that it has for Aaron. I mean, Aaron has gone on to have a, a fantastic, so far a fantastic life and, and business career, right? Whereas there's a lot of individuals that maybe even surpassed her or had done, you know, similar numbers that were much more short-sighted. And I don't think they did as well. They conquered, but they didn't rule. You know, what's interesting about that is like uh, this, this past weekend, Jordan was in town and we were actually talking about them. Funny enough, uh, we were talking about kind of like the whole process of them leaving, going on that trip and everything. Cause, okay, cool, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah Cause uh, is it Paul? I think yeah, yeah, Paul, right? Yeah, yeah. So Paul like went and, and got another job. Obviously, it was a, it was a pretty good paying yeah. job. But um, me and Jordan were talking about like you know you know the like the, the income and the wealth that they built as a couple, and like you know when they yeah. were both in student works, they're you know like a two fifty to three fifty kind of household income. Yeah, you know, couple. And uh, we were talking about how the fact like when they left, they went and tried to start up this business, which is obviously kind of taking off as as it is, but. Uh, we, we were talking about like how much like he he was really like relating to like how much further ahead they would have been if they just had you know done five months of traveling come back to student works you know worked their ass off for like the six seven months gone on another five months of travel and like built all that extra wealth and like you know put it somewhere and and he was talking just like about like how you know three four years after Paul had gone into this new job he still wasn't quite making as much as he did with student works and like the opportunity cost of like doing that. But now obviously they're like growing and stuff. So it, it's very interesting to kind of think about that. Like when you're talking about short sightedness and everything, like about like, even when people leave like yeah. the company and like we were talking about like how he, he's like, he wants to see people go and like succeed afterwards. But like he sees like, you know, these amazing operators who do really good things in their business, go out and yeah. like not see the success that they like they could it's it's very interesting it's a, it's a very interesting point that you bring up because i one thing that i think that i may have kind of sort of cleared the way for you know like or at least a, a proven model um and i think at the end of this year uh we'll kind of finally solidify that right because i think that people could do it a lot faster than i than i did you know because you could just get your shit together you know <laughs> sooner sure right but i think that If, if you were to do student works for five years and, you know, you, you got a great DM, you got, you know, you got a good mindset and you want to actually just like, just get the most out of it. And you, you go into it knowing that, hey, you know what, I'm here for five years. This is my goal. I think, you know, depending on which part of the country you live in as well, because there's a bit of a bit of a cost of living difference, obviously. 
Um, I think basically everyone could set themselves up, give or take, for the rest of their life. Like, not necessarily like a never have to work a day in your life ever again. But, yeah, sure. But, like... It's not have to worry again. Yeah, like, like, especially if you, like, live in somewhere like... Well, I mean, Calgary is maybe, I don't know, I, I don't really follow the market as much, but it seems like it's maybe picking up, picking up quite a bit. But it's but crazy. Certainly, yeah, okay, well, certainly a few years ago, okay, you know, uh, you could have bought, you know, you could buy, you know, let's use uh, Saskatchewan or something like that. Or Moose, I mean, well, we look at Sienna. I think she bought her house cash, right? <laughs> Yeah, seventy grand. Yeah, like yeah, but like, but but point being, I know that's I know that it's a cheaper part of the country than you know than other places. But point being, though, I mean, you know, um, you could still buy a condo, you know, have no mortgage in pretty much any any city in Canada, maybe exclusive of Vancouver, right? Um, and you could have some savings or whatever, right? You could have your maxed out TFSA yeah. within like five years, so you could you could set yourself up, right? And and. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, in, in Aaron's defense, I think that was one of, the, you know, because she had been doing it for a few years at that point. And that was kind of like a really big year for her. And that was actually the ceiling, by the way. Like, so like, it wasn't even like, you know, like, it wasn't necessarily clear that you could just go on and do bigger numbers, you know? Like, yeah, you see, you yeah. Know? So in her defense, it wasn't like there was like any precedent there. But um, the other thing to consider, too, is that like you could fall into this trap where it's like one more year, one more year, you know? Um, you know, because I've thought about that, too, where, you know, and not that I'm, you know, that I'm going to be not running a painting business anytime soon. I think that I would rather find a way of keeping it and, and uh, you know, delegating everything out to the point where I could still hold hold the asset and, and get less cash flow, but still some cash flow rather than, yeah. none. you know, like I wouldn't just walk away from it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or at the very least sell it. But, but anyway, I want to keep it. Um, but, but, but Trisha and I do talk about this of like, how many more years do I want to, you know, and I, and I think that there is actually a way that I can have my cake and eat it too here. Like, I think that I'm just not being creative enough. And, um, and, it, and this is kind of the next evolution of myself. Like, this is like the next frontier that I'm having to like, like right now, I think that where I'm at is like, we're seeing me trying to make that transition into a more of a business owner role, more of a, an investing role rather than a, uh, a day-to-day operations guy. And, and it, you know, and, 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 you know, hopefully I can make that transition. And I, and I think I will, I'm confident that I, I am going to be able to acquire the skills and, uh, uh, necessary to do that and have the right, I think I have the right mindset. I think I have a student mindset still, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still learning every day. And, uh, and I think a lot of the skills that I learned previously will, will transfer to that. Right. So I think that I'll still be able to offer value in a position like that. Right. And, and attract the right people to, to you know to hope hopefully work with me and and, and help well, you me just that transition you become a business coach like you know <laughs> uh very similar to like your hvac business right like you're not like necessarily in it right but yeah it's operating well it will be in a month sure. um yeah it's uh matt matt or the operator matt lang um super excited actually tristan i actually tristan tristan my business partner he was he was at my uh, in my office here today, and uh, him and I were, were chatting about that. How it's pretty cool. In about a month, it'll be the first time that him and I, uh, you know, own a business that generates revenue without us involved in the day to day. And it'll be really exciting to make that transition, right? And and I'm really excited to get my mm-hmm. my painting business in that same way, like in the same way that I've transitioned effectively fully out of out of production. When I say fully out of production, I would say that. I have less than two hours a week of of things scheduled for production on any given base, and and the only things that are scheduled, I would say, are uh, ske- scheduling jobs because I think that's a I think that's actually a sa- more of a sales role. Like there's a fulfillment aspect to the sales role, 
Um, and then I have a meeting with Jocelyn every every Sunday. So other than that, I'm fully exited out of the out of the um, production role. Like there's employees that I've hired that I've never met, for example. They're they're working in the business, and if I showed up onto a job site, they wouldn't know who I am. Like I could start painting and be like, my name's Rick. You know, that's interesting. You know? Yeah, because like I was very similar to that last summer, where like I met all my painters. Not not quite to your level, obviously, but like. I only probably went to three job sites all summer. So like my painters didn't yeah, really yeah. know me. So like, I guess on like that topic, um, do you feel like your painters like would respect you as, as like a, a, like a leader per se, um, if you were to show up or do you think like it's mostly you know, Jocelyn? Maybe. They... I think that's mostly ego though. Like just like the way that, that, you know, like just that, that, that line of dialogue I think is, is, is to me like it, it, it smells of ego in the sense that like why the fuck do i need to be respected and what like why do i need to be like why do i need to be the center of attention kind of thing? sure like, I, I think sure. i can just un like i think one of the things that's that i'm having to like really um one of the things that i've been working and this is intentional i've been working on this for many years and i think that i'm getting i'm getting there i'm not, I'm not quite there but i'm trying to really unfuck myself like in the sense that like i don't need to actually be an important part of this fucking business like it doesn't like the business can actually just do its thing. Like if like if I find someone who does the tasks that I'm doing, like I can just not do those tasks anymore, right? Which seems obvious, right? Mm-hmm. But it's been super humbling having Jocelyn take over the production aspect of my business because she's way fucking better than I am. <laughs> like people like not that people disliked working for me, but like people really like working for Jocelyn. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Know? Right. Like no one's like, damn, man, I wish that John was around. Like no one's thinking that, you know, like it's just not like, yeah, in, like yeah. in like a, you know, like in a shattering my ego way. Like I'm just not important. Right. Like no one is wishing that John was around more often. Right. Like so, it's, they're very perfectly content with with Jocelyn, you know, doing her thing. The reason That's, I ask is because like, sorry, give me a sec. Connor. <laughs> the reason I ask is because last summer, um, one of my main feedbacks for my painters was like, we wish you were around more. So like maybe that becomes like an expectation setting um, from my well, side. Stop but being like, so likable then. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, no, but like that was one of my main feedbacks and that's something Jordan really wanted me to do. So like maybe that's again like a short term thing. Um, well, but there might but, have been, do you think that there was maybe just something that you hadn't fully delegated or something that your production manager wasn't doing properly that they thought that maybe you could fulfill? Because potentially. Like, because like that's the thing, like maybe maybe that's because like in 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 Jocelyn's situation, she fully satisfies the full role. Like like I said, like when I when I see my guys, you know, when I do, it's like, oh hey John, how you doing? I'm like doing good. You know, like it's fun to see them, and like I you know I, I call them and I give them updates and things like that. Like I like to you know I like to talk to them. It's not like I'm just purposely trying to avoid it. But it, but it's but it's important to understand that the tasks that are actually vital to the business producing revenue as in paint goes on wall, <laughs> um, I'm not needed in that process. And what I'm ex- very excited about is this year, I'm going to work towards getting it so that I, I want to like by the end of um, the preseason of next year, I want to get to the point where I have the same relationship with sales. Uh, and so that's, that's the next frontier is if, if I can get my painting business and, and, and I have, an individual that I'm really looking forward to working with and, and assuming everything goes well, I I think I have the right guy and I'm really excited for that part because 
that will really change my relationship that I have with my business, right? And and I'm and I'm really looking forward to that because I think it would it, it's it's fun, right? Like because like what I'm doing right now, for example, it's not really that fun, right? Like I I um like m- where my business is at as far as the scale that it's at, effectively it requires me to perform at at my highest level on a weekly basis with no fucking around. <laughs> you know? Like if 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 there's if my guys need work you know right now at least uh but only because i'm choosing to run at the scale that i am right but but if you look at my schedule it's effectively like like when i say that like 90 percent of the stuff that's scheduled on my like I, I don't think there's any other than working out and reading there's nothing that's scheduled that's not sales on my you know whether it's calling leads doing estimates follow-ups picking up deposits whatever it, that's all it is right so for me, the way that I look at it is that, oh my God, how amazing would this be if I can find someone and coach them and get them doing this the same way that Jocelyn is? Because what? Because then it's like, what would I do with my time then, right? And I think that's like one of the things that like I really look forward to for my future is I really want to get to a point where I don't have anything scheduled, and then it's like, okay, John, now what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, Connor, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I just, I find it so interesting when you start to talk about the idea of your, of your employees not, not wanting you around because that's super fair. But I think that's something that starts to change as you move into a business coach position, as you, as you're going to start to work more as the actual business owner instead of the business owner operator. Because that's one of the tra- that's one of the things that I've noticed as I've moved into the district manager role is that I didn't want my painters to want me around, but I want my franchisees to be asking for advice. Yeah, on certain yeah. things. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's definitely something I've fallen, fallen prone to. I think that one of the um, it's it's there's advantages and advantages and disadvantages of having a, a very domineering aggressive. Um, personality like I have and one of the downsides is that people are not very likely to give me critical feedback because I'm so disagreeable so it it's not so much that I don't respond well to criticism but if you're gonna if there's critical feedback or there's ideas they have to be really sharp because I'm so I'm such a disagreeable individual that unless you're unless you're bringing your a game it you can't you can't uh, be sloppy about you know, bringing things to my attention, if that makes sense. Um, and it's something that I'm definitely trying to think about, at least, and not so much change, but think about, um, be conscious of. But the other thing, too, is that, that you can fall victim to, like, a Joseph Stalin kind of mentality here that's, that, that I always kind of keep keep an eye on and that, you, uh, that I want to be very careful of because it can it can present some pretty interesting uh, uh, take, uh, hidden liabilities within your business. And the Joseph Stalin problem is basically that, like, Joseph Stalin was so domineering and um, and and so um, uh, basically just so domineering that no one around him was willing to give him the bad news, and effectively just all the yes men mentality where no one was asking him for uh, advice per se, and, um, and and so it led to the situation where like it got to the point that it was so bad that um like just like really weird examples now i'm not i'm not any anywhere really near quite that <laughs> by any stretch but it's something that i keep an eye on right of like you know when you say like um having your guys approach you for help 
you want to make sure that you, uh, that your guys, of course, know that they can approach you for help. They don't want to have this this dynamic where they feel like they're going to get their heads bitten off if they if they call you for something, right? So I, I can see what you're saying as far as like not wanting you around, but yeah. So how do you think you're going to battle with your level of disagreeableness as you move more into the into the role of coach? Like, like what are you personally think you're going to have to face as you start to lead other business owners and start to lead people in more senior management positions? Well, the thing is, is that I, I think that there's a massive difference between the uh, there's I think there's definitely different types of coaching, right? Um, and I don't, I'm not a very good technical coach. Um, maybe in sales, I've never actually trained someone on sales. So I think that that, because that's like my, that's like, like if I was, if I was to consider myself like a, like a craftsman, that's my craft. I'm a sales and marketer at, at heart. Like I'm very good at getting people on the boat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 uh, I think that I'm a charismatic leader in that way. Like I think I, I'm able to get people hyped up, you know? Like if there was ever like a, like, I think in another universe, I could be like a, I could, I could have been like a fight promoter. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so I'm, I don't, I don't think that I'll end up being a very good technical coach. And I think that there's people that, um, you know, such as Ammer, for example, that are very much clearly a technical coach. I mean, Ammer is as technical as they come. Right. And so he's someone that I would that I would utilize, right? In in the sense that if I'm not a technical coach, why would I force myself to be one? So from a technical aspect, um, I would use people like Ammer to help me and uh, in, in improve my business that way. Um, it's also quite possible that the reason why I'm not a very good technical coach is because I'm so consumed, my mind is so consumed on other things that I don't even have time to actually like think about that aspect of it. So who knows? Maybe... Maybe as my time is more freed up, maybe I'll, I'll be able to make more improvements in that aspect. Now, where I see myself actually, uh, and this is where I'm, I'm trying to position myself within my business, like my, within my painting business, but also within the peer business, but also within my life, is I want to become someone who makes good long-term decisions from a strategic standpoint that... Uh, position the business for long-term success, which sounds like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Effectively, all the things that you would never think about uh, that do actually end up mattering, um, you know, such as uh, where are we going to buy more locations, right? Why are we buying those locations, right? When should we be deploying our cash versus when should we be hoarding it, right? What kind of cash options are we holding? Are we holding gold or are we holding, you know, US dollars? Are we holding Canadian dollars? Things like that, things that are what to most people would consider extremely boring, I find fascinating, right? Where are we making our investments, not only within our business, but also externally from our business, right? How are we positioning ourselves to grow? Those are things that, those are uh, questions and that I want to answer. And they're not technical. They're not the technical side of the business. They're not, how do you close this contract? Or how does the paint go on the wall? They're, they're, they're different than that. And I think that I, I can find, there's many people that are that are much more technical than I am. And they're much more motivated and passionate about the technical side, such as Ammer. Ammer's very technical, and he loves coaching people on the technical side. I would say there's very few people that are grooming themselves like I am uh, and working hard towards becoming a a different thing, right? And I'm hoping that 
what I transition into is something that it's, I'm hoping it's a role that people didn't know they need until I, until I fill it. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. C- can you ever see yourself working on the technical side more, or do you think you're always going to find somebody to fill that position for you so you can focus on what you know you're good at? Yeah. I mean, if I think that if I end in a technical role, I think that I, that I let myself down. I really don't think it's my strong suit. I think that I'm able to do it through sheer grit, but I like this year, for example, I'm out of all my years, I'm the most numb to the results that I'm getting because this year is much more of a means to an end than an end of itself, mm-hmm. more so than it, than it has ever been, right? In, in the sense that I know that what I'm doing this year is, ne- is it, it seems necessary at least in the in the progression of me getting to the next stage of, of, of my life and and in my business career right and and I am enjoying the day-to-day to some degree and I'm uh, you know I, I'm enjoying for the most part but it, but it's it's definitely not <laughs> a permanent thing right like I don't want to mm-hmm. continue doing 20 estimates a week you know of what course I mean? yeah right and so but but in the sense though it's motivating because I realize that okay John here's how much you need the book. Here's how much you need to make. Once you have that much money, we know that we have a certain level of baseline comfort. Now we can take bigger risks with the business because you're no longer needing the cash flow, right? And so it's motivating in the sense that I want to do extremely well this year because I know that if I hit a certain number, that I'm I'm set, right? I, I, that I'm fine. That I, I that I won't. That I can I, I can effectively afford to live my life in a way that no one that that no one else potentially could with the, with the level of security that I'll have, right? And that's really what I'm looking forward to is, is being able to reinvent myself um, and do so with, with ultimate security behind me. What, one of the questions I have is like, um, have you ever thought like whoever you bring into your business is not necessarily going to be as good as you are at what you're doing? Like, have you thought about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. That yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it would be, it would be, um, They'd probably be significantly worse than me, <laughs> but <laughs> to start, but yeah, not, sure. but not, but not like in a because I'm so amazing way, but just because I've been around longer, right? Like it's not like a, you know, anybody that does what I've done for eight years would probably be pretty reasonable at it, right? Hell, I think a lot of people like Riley. I think how many years are you in? Five. Yeah. So in three years, I think that you'll be a lot better than I am at what I'm doing. Right, like I think in a lot of ways you already are from a technical side much better than I am. I would say that in if you were to pick any aspect of the business that I'm currently running, I bet I could find someone in like if you look at the individual tasks that I'm doing, I I'm very confident that I could like you're probably a lot better at initial calls than I am. Right, certainly Austin is much better at initial calls than I am. Yeah. As far as estimates go, you know I'm. I, 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 that's probably my strongest suit. Like if you put me in front of someone, I just have a certain, a certain way of getting shit done. Um, but you know, in, in a speedy amount of time as well, there's a certain efficiency factor there, but, but there's probably better salesmen in the company than me. I mean, certainly there's people with higher booking percentages and things like that. Right? I remember, uh, I remember one of the, one of the first podcasts I listened to, like on the weekly call was, I remember you're talking about the idea of like, there's always someone better at at something than you and like you can always gain yeah. value from a conversation um, yeah 
And I thought that was like that, like that kind of like hit home for me of like, regardless of how good you are at something, like there's always someone who's better at like blank and you can always learn something, even if they're like, you know, like, let's say you're doing 500 can sales, like this person's at like 42, like, but they, they could still be better at something than you are. Regardless oh, for of sure, what man. That I remember is. being at the office, I remember being at the office. Uh, I think this was at the, maybe at the end of last year or the year before. I can't remember. This might've been the end of last year. And, um, one of the Hancock brothers. Uh, I was there. I was there for this. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We were both there. I think we were all no, there. One of the Hancock brothers came in and fucking taught me how to mask windows. And I asked him a bunch of questions about it to make sure that yeah. he wasn't just full of shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, because people, people are always like, oh, this is the best way of doing things. And you, know, like, you find out afterwards, like they just, they don't actually know the full, like it's the best thing that they know of that's available to them. Like they, but they haven't tried all the other things, you know, like I always love when something's the best thing. I'm like, do you know all the other options that are available? You know, yeah. <laughs> but, um, right. Um, but yeah, I remember the hand, one of the Hancock brothers, I think it was the younger one, not Spencer, but it was, yeah, it was this painter. Yeah. yeah. Carter. Carter. Yeah. He's... Well, his brother is his. It was brother. His it, it was Carter, who's now franchise. Yeah, Carter Hancock. That's right. And I remember he taught me like uh, he he, he kind of walked me through like how to mask a window in like a really efficient way, where you can basically you like tape around spray the window, it. and then you spray the window, and then you fold it over over top of the glass, and then you can then spray the siding afterwards, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's some flaws in the uh, in the skill and like how train trainable it is. But certainly from a technical standpoint, far superior to what we were doing, right? So Definitely. like there's always little things to learn, right? And and um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's cool. And like with with regards to like, I, like I want to talk about kind of like the fact that you're kind of breaching into like these other businesses now a little bit. Um, how have you found like, you know, introducing not only like the aspect of this HVAC company that you're kind of coming into, but like. More so, like, also, like, I, I know you're, like, very interested into investing, and I'm, I'm sure you probably spent some time in that. So, like, have you found, like, working that into your current schedule? Well, see, this is the interesting thing, is that it, it's to the point where... I probably spend equal amounts of time... I don't know if that's true. It's at least it's at least comparable. I probably spend equal amounts of time on my painting business with all the other aspects of my life at this point. Interesting. Yeah. I'm probably working approximately 30, 30 to 40 hours a week in my painting business. Okay. And I would say that I'm spending about 15 hours 15 to 20 hours a week reading and I'm probably spending about five to 10 hours a week analyzing companies. And I probably spend about two hours a week on the peer air business. And when, when you say analyzing companies, is it for the purpose of, of buying into, of investing in, of buying a franchise of what's the purpose of the business research you do? Yeah. <coughs> yeah sorry um yeah these are publicly traded businesses typically okay okay yeah and it's all for yeah for one it's actually just to improve my skill so it's it's to get time on it's i'm trying to practice because i'm trying to because i i um even though i don't necessarily have 
enough money to like become a full-time investor like tomorrow kind of thing i'm trying to visit like i said i'm trying to position myself so that i mean effectively here's a really simple a really simple a really simple way that i'm trying to build my life i'm trying to get to a position where i can surround myself with people who are very much motivated to make lots of money doing technical things within businesses and me offering value in any way that I can as far as mindset and, and strategies involved. And these businesses would produce cash flow that I can then invest. And the people that are within this inner circle that that I that I'm interacting with, you know, such as, you know, Tristan's obviously a business partner, Matt Lang's a business partner, um, Jocelyn, you know, Trisha's my you know obviously my fiance, but I'm trying to position myself in such a way that these people can benefit from the fact that I'm trying to acquire skills that will make me a really good investor and and help grow the businesses that way. And so the my 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 core business is I'm trying to I feel like I'm trying to reinvent myself in the sense that people just view me as as the ProWorks painting guy and or or as the painting guy, but the main business that that I see on a day-to-day basis is is called Aurelius Holdings. The the painting business the, the business that people see me as currently is is uh, ProWorks Painting, or I mean the actual corp name is JM Paint. One portion of uh, it. Yeah, right. But but at the end of this year, roughly twenty five percent of my revenue uh, will not be the painting business, and the year after it'll be closer to fifty percent, and the year after it'll be close to you know, so, so that, that's where these things get very interesting is that, um, that's where the re the reinvention of myself comes, right. Is that I'm trying to transition out of just this one identity. Right. And yeah. And so as an investor, I'm going to need cash flow, And I think a lot of business owners, business owners are going to be grateful that they have me as an investor. Yeah. That's super cool. And like, um, with, with with regards to your investments, um, have you ever like had a point, you know, like in, in your, I guess, like investment portion of time where like you, you weren't positive? Like, have you ever like gone into debt at all? Or like, have you ever like had that kind of situation? What do you mean positive? Like, like, like as in I had a, an investment that went sour? Well, like just like financially, like by yourself, like, you know, like, have you ever like been in a position where you've had to like really dig yourself out of it? Or have like you always been kind of like moving upwards because like I, oh, I think i know where you're going with that yeah well maybe not but like are you talking like like you know financially how have i been basically yeah i guess like because obviously like when you come into student works a lot of people do well some people don't don't do yeah, well. okay. some people I, I aren't I great with their with money but yeah yeah so here's here's an interesting point that i thought was super fun and this is actually where i actually okay so this is yeah, this was a huge turning point for me because this is when I realized that I could effectively have enough money within a few years that I would never have to work again. Sure. So I, I, um, I after f- I think it was three or four years. I can't remember. I think it was. I think it was at the end of. I think, yeah, I think it was at the end of three years. I had. I just. I. I kind of. I mean. There's there is some arguments in the sense that I effectively I was borrowing money from the government to scale up my business, but. I, I had $110,000 in debt. I think it was more than that because I think I, I had like student loans and things like that. But anyway, it was, we call it $110,000 in debt. And I remember like 
it was funny too because i had just met trisha right so here's me like i had like made a ton of improve i had made a this was this i think this was at the end of my what was it 93 and this wasn't like good debt right like this was like just so this was at the end of my fourth year no well this was this was it's not the worst debt i mean okay sure like yeah i mean like the government charges a pretty reasonable interest rate it's like five percent or something like that that's not bad you know they 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 calculate the interest daily but you know it's compounded but but um what actually got me was the penalties because I, I i didn't because it was it was actually not even it was actually worse than i didn't that, that i actually didn't uh, pay my taxes for four years i didn't file for oh. three of those years <laughs> okay. so, and, so so and the way that the government the, the government is savages uh, well i mean i i would do the same i mean if someone owed me money i wouldn't do it any differently but the way it works is so that so like so okay so i had finished my fourth year so i did ninety three thousand in revenue my first year or something like that 91 um, I did 167, 220, and then 299. Every time I say 300, Corey always corrects me that it was 299 because I just didn't go get that extra thousand dollars, right? But of course. either way, um, and um, and so I so when I finished my my fourth year, I filed for all four years, but three of those years were filed late, right? And so the way that it worked effectively was actually it was even worse than that. I filed for the three years and I filed for my fourth year. But when I said one hundred ten thousand dollars, that wasn't even including the other thirty. Like it was like oh. it was actually like even more. Yeah, it was like it was like even more. It was even worse. It was so bad. Or no, maybe no, actually maybe that's not correct. Maybe the hundred ten did. But okay. But anyway, point being though, um, uh, they had like charged like so I got charged like okay so like if you don't file one, your taxes one time, it's like a, a twenty five hundred dollar fee. If you don't file for a second time, it's like 5,000. If you don't file for a third time, it's like 10,000. But then the way it works is that all of those fees, including the back taxes, all get charged interest, backdated to the original, compounded daily. Okay. So, wow. Like, yeah, so Holy. it was like, dude, I remember like, I think at one point it was like, I think I was paying like, what was it? It was like, it was like it was like it was like more than it like it was like a couple dollars a day like an in interest or something like Jesus. that like that I like that I was having like you know like like I was basically like having to like buy Starbucks for the government every day you know like, <laughs> so, yeah. so like just an in interest not even like in like principal payment you know Jeez. and so so I remember like sitting down with my accountant and like like showing him this and him being like whoa dude that's fucking that sucks right like you know because i'm like 21 or something like that or 23 22 like i was young right yeah, like, yeah. i think i was 22 and he's like what the fuck is it like, how, like, well, the good news is that he's like well the good news is is that the only way that you can have that much you know owing in taxes is you made some good money so you're gonna have to just like go bank make a bunch more money i said well how the hell am i gonna pay this off he's like well how how, how fast do you want to pay it off I'm like well fuck i want to pay it off next year which is actually funny enough. That's why I went for the record, because what the reason why I came up with doing five. I think it was like my my goal was like five hundred or something like that. And uh, the reason why I came up with that, like why I had to do it, basically why I was so fucking motivated to do it, is that effectively the way it worked was, however much money I made after a hundred thousand paid taxes on, that's how much I actually made that year, like like <laughs> in take home, like if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so I did it. I, in one year, I paid off all of my taxes. Wow! And that's incredible. And so, yeah. But so I mean, I lived really frugally, and I just 
I, I made good money and I paid it all off like as quickly as possible, right? Like every check went to paying off this debt. Like I was making, I, I think at one point I was paying 5,000 every two weeks. That was like, that was like the, the deal I made. Like, cause like when you like owe money to CRA, you have to come up with a payment plan. I was like, well, I can start paying 5,000 every two weeks, like starting in like May. So then I was just like rocking that out. Nice. Nice. It was fucking nuts. Either way. But, uh, that's when I discovered, I'm like, well, holy shit. Like if I did that and you know, it felt so good to pay off the government. I was like, what if I like was to pay myself that much? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Right. And so that's where, you know, and then if you do the math on, you know, if, if you live the same way and you, you know, um, and, and you know you do over a million dollars in revenue and you save almost all of it you can do the math on it you can you know you you, you accumulate money pretty quickly so well yeah and then the, like you know the compounding of it over the course of however many years right like it just substantial yeah 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 even if you just do that now if somebody's able to work hard enough that they can make a six figure income at our age it gives and if they're able to save that or will invest that gives them the comfort to be able to live the rest of their life doing something they love and not having to worry about putting money away every single month because it's going to compound to a to a certain point that they can oh, retire sure. very comfortably for sure yeah i mean i mean if you max out your tfsa alone like it's like i think it's like 6500 bucks or something like that um but if you're maxing out your tfsa every year that's all you need to do i mean and you'll you'll be pretty fine right but that's where that's where I was saying mm -hmm. like if someone like just actually like went into student works with a five year plan, you know maybe maybe Pro Works is a part of that plan, right? And they did the math. It's like very quickly you can start setting aside some pretty like like the opportunity for student works people is that because the nice thing about student works is that you're already used to living like a broke college kid. Yeah. Like, so it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the math is pretty wild on it. Like, I mean, if, if you can continue living like a student, it's like you can start putting away like six figures into your savings account annually. Like if you do, if you do half a million dollars in revenue and you make, you know, 200, 200 grand and you pay your taxes on it and you only live off 50, it's like you can put away a hundred thousand dollars into your investments yeah. right like that's that's not a, like a small you know that's a top five percent income insane. yeah it's fucking insane right but but so that's where that's where i kind of got you know very motivated very quickly was that i i you know there's you know and there's all these other things too like you know i want to i want to you know like i want to be a father one day and i want to be able to you know spend as basically as much i, I never want to um i never want to be in a position where i have to choose money over my children and the number one reason for divorce because I, I tend to take things more seriously than people think, right? You know, and like, I, I really love my fiance, Trisha. And when I say that I want to spend the next 52 years with her, I mean, as in like, like all of the, like I, I went and read like a whole book on why people get divorces. And I'm like, okay, no worries. It's like number one reasons, finances. Perfect. I'll just make sure that we own like a ton of gold and fucking don't have any debt. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's like, I'll just check that <laughs> off. It's like, okay, next thing it's like, you know, and you just go down to like infidelity, no worries. I'm good there. You know what I mean? Like I just, it ain't a thing. Right. So you just kind of go down the list. Right. And so it's like, cause like I like one thing that I like to do, like there's like, there's, the, there's these two Charlie Munger quotes 
that I really like. And Charlie Munger is uh, Warren Buffett's business partner. And these are just like things that like I think about pretty much on a daily basis. So one, it's like the easiest way to get what you want in life is to deserve it. I love that quote. Simple. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good one. The other thing is like, if you want to know, uh, you can, you can inverse things. So like, so for example, a lot of people are like, okay, what do I need to do to be franchisee of the year? Right. But do you know what people should actually start asking themselves is what can I do to be the worst franchisee ever? Or what can I do to absolutely guarantee that I won't be franchisee of the year? Because the fascinating thing is, is everyone's always trying to focus on what do I need to do? Right. It's like, dude, you're doing so much fucking wrong. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Who cares if you if you do your initial calls? Fantastic. If if you don't put up recruiting ads, you ain't doing shit. Mm-hmm. Right. So this. So I, I think that I like to inverse things a lot. Like what? Like what can I be absolutely positively sure of to 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 end my relationship with Trisha? Okay, sweet. I'm gonna not go there. It's kind of like a, you know, tell me where I'm gonna die and I won't go there mentality. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. It's a different different way to think of it. That's super cool. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and and something like I was kind of interested in, just personally, like like obviously, like talking about the whole the topic of kind of like money and like how much you can actually save, like you know, being in this business, like as a as a young person, which is super cool. Where, where like where did you start? Where did I start saving? Yeah, like where did you start saving? Like where did you start investing? Like what did you do to start? learning and understanding things a bit better about about that so so the first thing that i had gotten into was like when i was paying off my debt i i needed to keep saying that like i wasn't just paying off this debt for any reason i was paying it off because i knew that the next year i was going to do even bigger right and that's where i wanted to be most improved because i like when i did the math of how much i saved at 467 like dude if i do 800 i can put away like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. i'm like that's you know that's mm-hmm. some, that's some, that's, that's dirty small, you know what i mean like, yeah <laughs> yeah it's dirty right so so where i started was i was reading a lot of real estate books so i think i i literally it was like my again this is remember the revenue people don't have a uh people don't have a a royalty problem they have a revenue problem yeah, yeah. okay so that mentality led me to like, the, so at one point, uh, like, so like, so at, at the same time when I was in that much debt, I was doing a bit of reading, but then when I was like, okay, like I need to be the best version of myself. That's when it got pretty insane where I was going down to the bookstore, uh, mosaic books downtown. And like, like anyone that works there probably still remembers me to this day. Cause it was the weirdest fucking thing, but I go down. Okay once a week and i'd have a fucking stack of books that i'd pick up every week once a week i'd go in morgan the third they bring me up this behemoth bag of books and i'd walk off and i would read all of them so i was trying to read like my goal was to read a book a day i was just plowing through these things right just a just a revenue problem just get those you know (laughs) just read those things now how much did i retain i don't fucking know but i'll tell you what i put in the work right and so i i literally just went down I, i still have all of those books to this day right it's like I just went down and I bought like the top 50 books on real estate, like every single book you could possibly imagine and just read all of them cover to cover, like at least once. Right. So like some books that come to mind on real estate were like, there was this one book that I'm a math guy. So like, I really like, I like numbers. Like I, I literally could read a book that was only like just spreadsheets and just read through the whole thing. It would just be so much fun. Like if, if there was like very little words, but just all numbers, I, I'm, that's like heaven for me. Right. Yeah. But 
it was like uh, big. Uh, you know, guys, you ever heard of Bigger Pockets? Yeah, that podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I read all of their books, like the House Hacking Strategy, and like um, you know, thirty three uh, financial metrics every cat, or, or thirty three. Uh, yeah, 33 uh, financial metrics every uh, real estate investor should know, something like that. And so I just started reading all these uh, real estate books. Um, and then I then started reading, uh, I, I originally started with this book called The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, which was how I got into... I actually, I have that sitting right over there. Yeah, man. It's, um, yeah, it's like, I've, you know, that's like, that's like the Bible for, for value investors. But I, that, you know, that was a book that I, that I read fairly early on and that's not even a book that you have to like you know that book's mostly about public publicly traded companies but i think that there's a lot of lessons in there in general like margin of safety is something that i think a lot of people don't think about in in general like like here's a crazy stat for you so on this is an american stat but it's like uh uh 70 of um, um americans wouldn't be able to survive a five hundred dollar uh, unexpected expense. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yet, yet, the average American spends five hundred dollars a year on lottery tickets. It's just yeah, you know, it's a confused priority. Right. So, so, but what's the margin of safety on that? Right. Like for me, it's like, I carry at least a year's year's living expenses in gold. Right. I have a year's supply of dehydrated food in my closet. Right. So like, that's, that's what I mean by margin of safety. Like that. So that's an investing book, but it's like, that's a principle that I live by and that's how I do it. Right. So, so I got, so I got involved in that. Now, interesting enough with the real estate, I actually never, I, I mean, other than buying my condo, which I, I don't consider it an investment. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really like make this a factor into my, like, I don't, I don't consider my primary residence, a like a, like an investment per se, mm-hmm. but, um, I didn't like, I, I, like, I think I understand the math behind how to make a good real estate investment. I think that I understand real estate to some degree, but, but I didn't want to be the guy. Cause I realized that real estate is it's, it's really, it's not a part-time gig. And so I chose to invest in real estate through what's called syndication. So I found, well, actually he found me more or less a real estate investor named Matt Andrews, who put, he basically pools money together through a bunch of investors and then buys properties and Mm -hmm. then he manages them. And then he takes a cut of the profits and then the rest of it goes to his investors. So that's how I've done all my real estate investing. Um, And then through the stocks, I've done all of that through a financial advisor. And that's where I originally got started. I think if I was to go back in time, I think I would go more into uh, ETFs rather than a mutual funds with a financial advisor. I'm happy with with my financial advisor. I'm happy with the performance. But I think that there's probably cheaper ways to do it. Um, and there's probably some irrationality on my part in that sense. But but most of my portfolio now is is self-managed and uh and it's in individual stocks um so i almost use my financial advisor now as just like a etf in a sense like that he's my total market index fund kind of thing mm-hmm. um and then yeah that's, that's kind of how i got into investing okay cool i want to jump back on the syndication briefly can you explain the difference between syndication and a joint venture yeah so in a, uh, like a joint venture I mean, 
there's not, I mean, there's, there's, there's probably like very minor differences between joint venture and syndication. I mean, and to be honest, they might be interchangeable to some degree, but the way that, I mean, my, the way that like a syndication is like this, I mean, basically there's a pool of investors and they all put their money into a corporation. And then the guy who's running the syndication then purchases a property with that money. Okay. Okay. Whereas a joint venture, like when I think of a joint venture, I'm thinking that's more like a sole, like a sole prop kind of situation. It's kind of different between like being like an incorporated yeah. business and like a joint venture could be done through a corporation. But I, I, I would say that like there's one person that's doing the deal and everyone else is just supplying the money. Whereas in a joint venture, that's not always the case, you know? Okay. So then how does the ownership work in a syndication? I mean, it's totally negotiable and every, every syndication is going to be different in the situation I have. Well, I don't know if I, if I could say, but basically the way it is, is like, we all put our money in, he finds deals that are severely undervalued. So that like, so the main value we get from, from investing with Matt is that we're buying deals that realistically we wouldn't probably find ourselves. Okay. So they're mm -hmm. already getting very premium returns, either very undervalued or there's typically very undervalued in some way. Mm -hmm. Like I'll give you an example. We bought a, um, a sixplex in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, that was assessed for 480,000. We bought at the bottom of COVID for 280. Wow. And it was, it was generating $4,200 a month in rent when we purchased it. Wow. That's crazy. Right. So like, was I going to find that? Probably not. The other one was a, 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 a building that was assessed for a million dollars also in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, we bought it for 700 and I think all in with all fees and everything was 780. And uh, that one was generating um, um, $6,500 a month or $6,800 a month in rent. Mm -hmm. I remember I was talking to Jordan about this because like, I know, like, is that Matt, one Jordan's in? Actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we were actually talking about that specific one and we were talking about like, yeah, it's like, nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And he, he was just talking about like how, like actually like how Matt's kind of just this guy who's just like, you know very very basic person but he's just like freaking brilliant with regards to like this oh dude he's thing. he yeah but that's his gig right like that's yeah, yeah. his thing he's really good at that right um yeah he's definitely yeah i mean he's like a sex coach slash like like he's he's everything he's a, he's a real estate syndicator like he's a relationship guru like that guy's awesome i love matt um but yeah so he so anyway he takes a he takes a portion of of the deal basically for himself um, yeah, and then yeah. there's usually a management fee associated to it as well. But then they manage everything. Like, I mean, other than forty emails a year, I have never touched anything. You know, like yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. We, it was funny because we like we were talking about like the the idea of like like I, I was asking him if it was ran through like a corporation or not. And, like he was talking about like yeah. the interest fees and like how like you know going with 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 a certain direction, like there, there's higher interest, but then you don't have to worry about like worrying like with regards yeah, to private money versus exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so those are like a very interesting topic and like it, it's funny because like you know you you typically probably wouldn't know that yourself but because he's like so good in like a specific thing and like he understands how to like position that deal it becomes quite a bit more simple for you guys to be like hands off yeah the idea is typically that through a syndication if you find a good syndicator the idea is that you get a better return than if you were doing it on your own alongside your career now like if i was to go like full-time real estate investor could i get similar returns to matt maybe probably not though maybe similar though would i get better returns than 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 investing through matt as through a syndication probably but i but also 
I would have to be a full-time real estate investor and I don't want to be a full-time real estate investor, right? Um, so the idea is that through investing through a syndication is that you ideally would get better returns than you would get on your own if you were doing it part-time. So there's no there's no return difference there. Yeah. If anything, Matt's actually getting me way better returns than I would probably get myself, right? Um, and then uh, the other thing too is that it's completely hands-off. So it's allowed me to um, have exposure to real estate also, you can all like I, I mean I I've only invested like eighty thousand dollars with him, so it's like I'm able to not like if I was to go off on my own and I was doing like a like just buying a property on my own, I'd probably have to put like way more than that down. So I wouldn't be able to. So from a from a uh, an investment like let's say like a portfolio allocation standpoint, you're able to better pinpoint exactly how much you have invested to real estate versus you know stocks or whatever. Well, yeah, like like on that like you know seven hundred twenty thousand dollar deal. Like if you were to do that yourself, you would have had put significantly higher uh, amounts of money I would have, just yeah, to like run that deal. Three hundred eighty thousand to that, yeah, yeah, exactly. So he, so he raised money from a few different people, right? And another thing too is you're also able to be a part of more deals. I mean, the only reason why that <laughs> I don't have more money invested with Matt because I mean I, we, I love the deals that he's brought us and we're doing fantastic on them is that he can't find any fucking deals. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just it's. It's just not a good market right now for finding significantly undervalued real estate. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know, I, I know, remember, like, when I was talking to Jordan about Matt, like, he said, like, he, like, really just likes to go for those deals that are, like, just gold. Like, he doesn't go yeah, for, like, small returns. Yeah, average deals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's someone yeah. who finds significant yeah. stuff. Because I remember I was talking to Jordan. I was like, oh, like, I'd be, like, totally interested in, like, you know, going in on that. And he's like, oh, yeah. But, like, so would, you know, a bunch of people in Student Works West and East. So, like. <laughs> you know like so many people like have so much money that they want to go invest but like you just yeah the have list the deals. is so long at this point <laughs> that i'm probably barely on it so you know, <laughs> yeah. i don't know if anyone else could get on it right and, and like the moment that he says i found a deal it's like here's the money matt like no worries right? yeah, yeah take it so yeah yeah right so um yeah and that, and that but again it comes back to the margin of safety idea right like you know in in the intelligent investor by benjamin graham right i mean it's like matt is not willing to compromise on margin of safety right like basically it's like, how much are you buying the asset for? How much do you think it's intrinsically worth? And there should be a pretty large spread between that, right? Like when I'm when I'm buying a, a publicly listed company or a stock, right? I'm trying to get at the very least a 30% discount to what I think the business is actually worth. So I the way that I try and value my business is is at a 7% discount rate. So effectively, if I was to buy the business at its intrinsic value, I would supposedly get a 7% return, right, annually. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to buy it at a, a 30% discount to that. So that even if I'm wrong, there's a in my numbers, there's a there's a there's a big enough spread that 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 I, that I could be wrong a little bit and still get a better a 7% return or higher, right? And then ideally, if possible, you know, you find companies, you know, that are trading much, that have way more margin of safety than that, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's... So in some situations, you might be able to find a company that, you know, is is trading for, you know, let's just make up a number $10 per, per share, but you think that it's worth closer to 20, right? Just through its intrinsic value. Well... If you buy that company and you're right about your math, then you know there is a potential, um, you know, 100% upside. But you'd still be happy owning it even at that rate onwards because you'd just get a 7% return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. And like, 
I guess like if you were to suggest to, cause obviously some of our listeners are, are, are fresh new business owners. Like if you were to suggest like where to start, what would that like starting position be for people? And well, like, the starting position is invest in yourself, which I know sounds so cliche, but realistically, um, until you have your TFSA maxed out with ETFs, exchange traded well, funds. And like arguably your RSP too. Because like there's a lot of room of contribution there before you incorporate. Kind of, yeah. Your first your first thirty five, I think, is a steal because you can put that down as a as a down payment onto your primary residence. Yeah. yeah. So, but it depends on how you pay yourself. Because like for example, me, I, I don't actually collect an income anymore. Like I only get paid a dividend. Yeah. So, I don't have any RSP like, uh, contributions to make. But and I'd love to talk but, to you about like the dividend versus salary talk after after you finish your thought. Yeah, I mean that's that's a fun one that we could talk about forever. I mean, I paid an accountant too much money to convince <laughs> to me that, that out, nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah figure <laughs> it out, and it didn't. It didn't. It was not worth it. Like I can just, I can just tell you what he told me. But, but um, yeah, I mean, realistically, like, you know, unless your business is doing over half a million dollars a year, the best use of your funds is back in your own business. This is one thing that a lot of people don't actually. Um, and, and this is like a basic accounting principles that you can like kind of like figure out on your own. But this is where like also like studying publicly traded businesses has really helped me understand my own business better which is the difference between profit and cash flow and they're not the same thing and so many people don't know that and it's kind of shocking so like your business can turn a profit but you could actually not have money in your bank account and the reason why is because you might have to reinvest the money back into the business right Mm -hmm. and that's really how i grew my business because like there was like, especially like early in like, cause in, now with ProWorks, I'm, I'm like year round, like it's not a seasonal business anymore. Like we, we paint, you know, every day, every week of the year, but with student works, I was only operating for like five to six months of the year. And so if you think about it, it's like, I would only make cash flow for, uh, for five to six months. But what this meant is that I would actually like, I remember one year when I did 467, I paid off my debt. And by the end of the preseason, I had I had spent the last thirty thousand dollars I had, and I was broke. Like I was living off credit cards at the end of my preseason because I had invested the whole thirty thousand dollars into advertising, into equipment, and whatever, so that I could do eight hundred one. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Which so many people don't realize because they, yeah. they, they don't look at it like that. Cause they, they, they see it in such a short term basis, and they're like, "Well, why don't I just?" use this money for, for something, go put it elsewhere right now. When in reality, if you just put it back into your own business, you can turn it into so much more. Oh dude, and that's for the same sure. Even like fucking money letters, man. You sent out what a hundred thousand money letters, your $800,000 dollar a year that costed you what? 12,000. I think last year I sent 160,000 money letters. Oh yeah. yeah well, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing it's, it's return. Insane. Well, yeah. If you think about it, it's like, Typically, you would would say like, let's say you sent out a money letter, you should generate at least one. I mean, and, and take in mind, some people's returns on money letters are even more insane than mine. Mine's not even that great. It's wild. Some people are like two or three dollars per money letter. Yeah, so I get one dollar per money letter on average. So that yeah, means that, that my market that, cost that, that, is about that's pretty standard across companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine this year's two, which is kind of nice. Like, so why is that fifty? Why is that one hundred percent more? But, but, but say like I invest, uh, like so like if you look at the money I invested, in, now obviously there's there's you have to work for it, but. If you invest um, ten thousand dollars into money letters, you should generate roughly um, what would that be? Um, it would turn into about ninety thousand dollars in revenue, which which at a thirty percent profit margin should be about thirty grand. So you triple your money. Yeah, 
It's pretty uh, solid. <laughs> right. You're not getting that fucking return in the stock market. No, definitely just, not. Warren Buffett no. only gets like 27 percent annually. especially in a matter of what, a few months? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, you're, yeah. so that's why like that's why I was so willing to invest. Now, it's it now it eventually okay once i once i did 801 well even when i did 467 really i, I couldn't reinvest fully but but when once i got into like a, a past half a half a million dollars in revenue it got to the point where there wasn't any more efficient uses for my money within my business which is when i set up a holding company and all of the excess cash in my painting business that can't be used to do anything else goes to my holding company, which is where I make all my investments. Mm-hmm. And that would be Aurelius Holdings? Yeah, it's called Aurelius Holdings, yeah. Okay. And, and, and like, what was the point where, like, because I'm, I'm very much in, like, a position where I'm not too sure, like, you know, incorporation versus not. Um, this year, definitely not, because I'm, oh, sp- I'm yeah. spending a lot of money. But, like, um, like, where was that position for you where like it, like it made more sense to, to kind of make that transition? It depends on what your long-term goals are and it depends on uh, it depends on what your short-term and long-term goals are. Okay. Um, sure. Because the, so, okay. So here's, here's the simplest way of understanding why you would want to keep money in, in, in a corporation or so why you'd want to incorporate. So basically the idea behind a corporation is that you pay a lower tax rate at least up to half a million dollars in income you pay which is plenty <laughs> you pay a lower you pay a lower corporate or so you because uh, in BC now every province is different talk to an accountant blah 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 okay so in in BC I pay 11% flat for my corporate my corporate tax okay yeah and so uh, for for all my corporate income and then when I pay myself a dividend, the first fifty thousand is effectively tax free. It's not, but the kind of get a good account. But the, but then from there, you're like the, like my my like my total my 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 um, average tax rate for last year on my dividends was I think eleven percent. So that's how much I paid personally, and then I only paid eleven percent corporately or on the corporate side. Okay. Now the downside to a dividend versus salary so which kind of is marginal but it kind of works out to roughly the same to be honest but so if you pay yourself depending on how much you pay i mean everything comes down to actually do the math okay it's like so short don't, long nothing term, about, right? yeah everything situational talk to your own accountant because everyone has unique situations right but in my situation it was like i was looking to pay myself roughly ninety thousand dollars a year okay and so because that's how much i need to you know buy ramen and, and and a ring for trisha okay yeah so <laughs> so basically i uh, if you pay yourself a salary you pay a higher tax rate and you have to pay um uh different uh uh, uh you have to pay like um burden on yourself <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah yeah not as high as you you can do it a little bit differently because you can do it through your court anyway but point being um you have to pay higher fees and higher tax rate, okay? Than if you pay yourself a dividend, and that's like the upside. That's is that because you're paying into CPP and everything, correct? You're paying to CPP. You're paying to EI. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. also paying. Uh, you're paying WCB, which WCB chart. This is by the way the biggest cash grab ever. As a shareholder, if you pay yourself a dividend, you have to pay WCB fees. Like, what is that? I'm sorry, <laughs> but like, that's I I still think <laughs> that's, that's the biggest no cash grab of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Either way. Um, you have to pay a bunch of fees, um, and then on top. But now the upside, though, is that it's detracted from your corporate income. So, 
like this is where the math can get like super specific but yeah. either way whereas if you pay yourself a dividend you get double taxed so you pay 11 percent on the income and then and then you pay whatever your tax rate is on your dividends so in the situation at ninety thousand, I effectively paid an effective tax rate of like 20 22 percent but if sure. i paid myself a salary of 90 grand it would probably be closer to like 28 percent plus fees like 30 percent maybe sure but like so the, there is a spread there that i'm saving but then like yeah. when you're when you're paying yourself dividends too you're not paying into cpp or yeah so you don't get that when you're you know like when you're older i was gonna say you're also having to bet on yourself right <laughs> so yeah like it's like i plan on retiring in like would say 50 years like you know that's when i'd count this is when i get my cpp or whatever it is or you know so it's like sure. if i'm gonna bet on myself or the government i'm gonna bet on myself like it's like, what do I think is more confident in, in fifty years? Is that the, the Canadian government's me paying CPP still, or that I'm gonna, you know, or that John Morgan can invest his own money? I'm gonna do, I'm, you know, so, so effectively, you're you're just there's a spread there. Now the downside to a dividend versus salary, and this we could talk about this for hours, but basically, like you, it doesn't count towards like if you want to get a mortgage, for example, like I don't have any income anymore, like they just don't give a shit about me, like no one wants to lend to a guy who just collects dividends, mm-hmm. right? So you know, but that's when you like marry a nurse and you're totally fine so you know yeah um now okay so okay but so the reason why you'd incorporate though so that's like the that's the paying yourself part that's a total situational Mm -hmm. do the math it it, you could figure it out on your own the um the corporate side is effectively it's a simple it's a very simple thing okay do you guys know what a front end load is on investment it's super uncommon nowadays but it used to be yeah, it's because it's so uncommon. But it used to be that basically, like, you would give you like you know, like a stockbroker your money, and they would charge you a five percent fee to buy stocks for you. It's like totally unheard. Of. You know, I mean, nowadays it's like ten dollars in like a Quest trade or something like that, or Sweet. Like <laughs> or whatever. But yeah, right. It's like ten dollars per you know per trade. But anyway, it used to be front end loads. So it's like the way that I look at it is that like okay, so. The compounding on this again, do the math. But like this one, you don't even. This one you could basically just do in your head. If you took like a hundred thousand dollars and you paid yourself personally, you could basically lop off twenty five grand of that, and then you have seventy five grand to invest. Whereas, if you took it from the corporate side, you'd have eighty nine thousand, and then you have eighty nine thousand dollars to invest. So even you'd have to get a way higher return on the personal side in order to make up ground. Mm-hmm. Now the downside is that the money is in the corp, so you know you are restricted in what you do it. But it, but you know there, there's still you can still do many things with corporate money, um, you know that benefit yourself personally. Mm-hmm. But but point being, um, you, you basically just have access to more capital up front to invest. So that's why you would do a corporate. Um, the other thing too is that um, you can do inter inter corporate uh, dividends tax free. So all of the money that uh, that Pierre makes and then it pays taxes on is a tax-free dividend to Aurelius Holdings. Hmm. All of the money that JM Painting Limited makes pays taxes on and then ships to Aurelius Holding is a tax-free dividend because it's an intercorporate dividend. Interesting. <laughs> Very. Yeah. So there's lots of little things that you can do to like basically just have access to more capital because... If you're playing the investment game, it's all about how much capital do you have and how much of a return are you getting. So yeah, because like in the long run, like you know, like incorporating, like you're, you're still paying, like you know, roughly the same taxes long term. But like your money's that's able, the idea. Yeah, yeah, you're, 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 it's just like your money's allowed to grow quite a bit faster in a corporation because you're not like instantly paying tax on it. 
Yeah, so the way that I would view it is that I, I would look at incorporating once you have a maxed out TFSA, you have at least 35 grand in your RRSP and you own a primary residence. And the reason why is because unless you plan on growing your business exponentially, but I wouldn't bank on that, but um, because you want to, because your TFSA is the best investment you're going to make because it's tax-free growth. Your RRSP, the first 35,000 can be used as a down payment for your primary residence, which I think is a freebie because if you do the math on that, it's like you're basically getting like 60 grand for, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, you're, you're making way more. Um, sorry, in order to get the 35, you're only having to actually contribute like way less. But, um, and then the reason why you want to get your primary residence is because you, once you start paying yourself, once you're corporate and you're not paying yourself as much, uh, because you're retaining the earnings within the corporation, you're not going to qualify for as big of a mortgage. So you're going to want to try and get your like get your primary residence before that. So that's that's kind of the checklist. And then once once that's met, then from there, you know, incorporate. But then there's also high fees. I mean, it cost me like like it cost me like three thousand or maybe three or four thousand dollars to like maintain my painting business as corp incorporation right every year. Like because of like 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 it's like twenty five hundred dollars to get your corporate taxes done. Yeah. And it's like $500 a year, like in legal fees. And then there's like a bunch of other miscellaneous bullshit and everything costs money when you're like, when you're incorporated, like, yeah. like everything just costs more. The credit cards aren't as good. Like it's just really random, right? Like everything's just super time consuming. Like everything has to be done in person. If you want to like, you want to do anything, you have to like, go into the bank because it's like a corporate, you have to like sign off on it. Yeah. Interesting. So. Besides from the extra cash flow, what other benefits would you have from say, purchasing real estate inside the corporation versus personal well i mean typically you wouldn't necessarily just like so like okay like i mean there's um you guys are really interested in this it's cool <laughs> no one ever asked about this but so <laughs> yeah. typically the way you would do it is you would have a holding company that then owns operating companies the operating companies then ship the uh the profits or any kind of free cash flow back to the holding company and then the holding company would then hold assets within that holding company but usually if you're buying real estate you would then set up a separate real estate company and and and, and in a lot of cases each each um property may in fact be its own corporation, corporation yeah. so yeah, and so, hmm. um, and that's for various reasons. Yeah, yeah, so like the holding company could own like you know like twenty different uh, corporations that own properties basically, and like because like I know like I like I, I think just from talking to Jordan, I believe like the the one deal that you guys set up was specifically set up as its own corporation that's under you know yeah like 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 the yeah like I mean the the two real estate deals I'm a part of are two separate corporations, so yeah like so even though the shares are held within Aurelius Holdings. And there's various reasons why you would do that. Um, the number one reason, and again, this is like, like if you guys, I don't know, tell me if this is like just too boring for you, but one of the reasons why you would do this is because of what's called a shareholder loan. So for example, like I'll give you an example with like when, so when Tristan and I cap, it's called capitalization. So like when you capitalize a business, it's you like infuse cash into it. So when Tristan and I, uh, started the Pierre business. So the, the again, the corporate name is called Mayflower Indoor Air Quality. So when we when we started that business, we each started the corp. We started the corporation. We bought shares for like you know like a dollar each or whatever it was. Like yeah. so, we each have like twelve shares or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but 
Um, but then what we did is we did what's called a shareholder loan. So he, because Tristan also has a, a holding company. So we each did a shareholder loan to the business for $50,000. So that way, the first $50,000, um, we can, well, it's kind of, it's kind of a null because it's tax rate, but you, but this is more, this is more useful if you're doing it personally, but you can loan a business money and then it, it'll pay it, when it pays you back that, that shareholder loan, it's tax free. Now it doesn't, add, it doesn't matter as much when you do it through a corporation, but it matters when you do it personally. So like, that's why you would start up a corp, loan the company money. The first $50,000 back would be tax free. So that's why a lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. Not as useful for the, um, for the, for the corporate account. Um, the other thing is legal legal liability as well. So like if you own a real estate like or sorry, let's say you own a real estate property and you get a lawsuit, they can only go after that the corporation. corporation. They yeah. can't sue your other assets, right? Which is obviously really key. Yeah, because I was I was actually talking to uh, my financial advisor about like you know setting up a corporation and like I was talking about like I wanted to purchase a couple other yeah. properties and stuff and he's like, like it's funny enough it's very simple like similar thing is like you need to set up a holding account. Uh, company and like that like you know owns that property so that if they do sue you for whatever reason it's just that sim- single corporation it's so. it's it keeps it cleaner but again this is kind of like things that i don't really usually talk about which kind of i i find it it's awesome you guys are into it but the reason why i don't normally talk about these things is because it's just like not actually necessary i would say for 99 percent of the people probably that you know sure, maybe sure. this podcast because it's like but the reason why is because these are things that you would be doing if you're like if you're like fully committed to trying to get rich and most people think they're committed to getting rich but they're not actually committed to getting rich so it's like you don't like the, the thing is is you don't want to you don't want to half ass trying to get rich through this way because it's too expensive yeah <laughs> if you set yeah. up a bunch of corporations mm-hmm. and you're fucking having to like juggle these and <clears throat> it's a total hassle because like there's way more paperwork to do you don't do this casually. Like, you know, like this is if you're like, hey, yo, like this is what I'm going to do for like like the rest of my life. Like I'm going to be a businessman. Then yeah. fine. But like don't set up a corporation because you want to like not pay taxes for three years. It won't like because yeah. you're going to try and maximize taxes. for. It's not going to work out. Just fucking pay yourself and get over it. Like it's just who cares. Now, if you're going to try and like actually run businesses for the rest of your life and you're fairly certain, well, then, yeah, you can start doing this. But I would not suggest for most like. The average person does not need a fucking holding company. It's just not. <laughs> it's just not needed. Like it's not. Yeah. I would not recommend it. it. It's just overly complicated, and it probably wouldn't end up working out in the long run through fees and 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 there's also like different tax rates. Like passive income is taxed a lot differently within a corporation than it is held personally, and and there's all these again everything situational. Talk to accountant. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, like it's just interesting. Like I thought it was kind of cool to just chat about because like even though like you might not like do it typically, it's cool to like know about the options, right? Like kind of like where that could go. It's good to be educated, I guess. Yeah, it also just makes it easier for me to like understand like how I'm growing because it's like, yes, the painting business is growing, but how is it really a, cause there's something called look through, like look through revenue or look through earnings. So like, cause this is the proper way of looking at it. Like, so like I own a hundred percent of, well, kind of technically John Morgan owns 30% of JM paint and then Aurelius owns the other 70%. And there's a, there's a tax reason for that because if I ever was to sell John Morgan share of JM paint, it's actually tax free. Because, cool. because there's a tax credit that individuals have in Canada up to $750,000 in lifetime uh, sales of businesses. But that's a different thing. But 
effectively, I own 100% of JM Painting, JM Painting Limited. So, I mean, effectively, if I did like $1.5 million in revenue this year, it's a, it's, it is fair to say that Aurelius did $1.5 million in revenue in look-through revenue, mm-hmm. right? Like it, because sure. it, it owned 100% of that revenue, right? Whereas it, whereas if I only owned 50%, it wouldn't, it would be disingenuous for me to say Aurelius did 1.5 because I only own 50% of it, right? So like if, if the Pirare business does half a million dollars in revenue in its first year, it would be disingenuous for me to be like, I, you know, I did have a million. It's like, no, no, it's like Aurelius only did, you know, my percentage share of that. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you, if you, my goal by the end of the year is to crack 2 million in total Aurelius revenue. Right. And then, and then from there, that's, that's, that's the number that I'm actually following. So like, does that make sense? Yeah. It does. yeah. So I'm not, I'm not looking at it just painting. I'm looking at it as what's all of the earnings so not only pure air, but also the stocks. Because if you, you know, if you buy a company, okay, like if you own one share of, you know, you pick a company, you know, what's the revenue per share, right? And that's how much revenue is attributable to your one share, right? So if you bought it, I don't know, I'm just going to make up a number. But if you, if you bought a share of um, XYZ company, okay, for $10, and the company did had one dollar in revenue per share, right? And you owned, you know, a thousand dollars in in uh, in shares. Then you technically could say, oh, I did a hundred dollars in revenue, right? Yeah. The same way that if that company had, you know, like um, like a one example is um, like Smith and Wesson, technically Aurelius had $14,400 in earnings from, from Smith and Weston last year. Cause that's how many, that's how much the earnings were given how many shares I own. Very interesting. Yeah. That's very cool. Right. So that's the way that I look at it. Yeah. The same way that if you owned one third of a, of my painting business, Riley, right. It'd be safe to say that you made one third of the income, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, I know that was like a little bit of a rabbit hole in regards to that, but like I, I just kind of wanted to like explore. Well, it's it a fun, it's a fun topic. I mean, that's that's what I love. But that's the, those are the things that I try and think about on a daily basis. I mean, the you know the painting business is what I do as a craftsman, and but I'm but I'm trying to evolve beyond just simply driving to and from people's houses, convincing them to get painting, right? Well, yeah, and it's like building and, off of that that core skill. Yeah. Well, it actually benefited me tremendously. I mean, if you look at like, you know, obviously it's, there's transferable skills here. I mean, I convinced a 20 year old kid to drop out of university and move from St. John's, Newfoundland to Squamish. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, the sales ability definitely, you know, now one of the beauties of sales is that it's, it's super easy to sell people if they need what you're selling. So, you know, like, the easiest the easiest way to convince someone to paint their house is to is to convince someone who doesn't need convincing <laughs> you know like yeah like and that's what the initial call is right like you know riley like you and i that's one of the things that you know that's why you and i book at such a high rate is because we are in front of people who the goal of the our, the goal of that meeting is to get their house painted like they're not meeting yeah. with you to do the price like the it's like they want to book with you and then the price is merely just okay yeah that works right yeah you're just confirming the booking, right? Mm-hmm. 
Because sometimes when I do the quotes, I'm not just confirming the booking. That's not what I'm doing, right? Sometimes I'm just giving a price. And when that's, when, when I, there's nothing, I don't know if you do this, but like, there's nothing worse than like halfway through a quote and you realize that you're not booking it. You're like, oh. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cause you're like, cause like you got like, cause you know, then you got like 20 minutes to just like, you know, go through the quote. You, you still want to do it professionally. Cause you know, you never want to like make an assumption and find out at the end of like, okay, let's do it. Like, what? Uh, you know, you're like, oh. you know, yeah. but, but, but you know, you usually know, you, I mean, hell you probably know on the initial call. Typically. Yeah. Like I'd find like you have a pretty good feeling. Like typically you get off a call and you're like, Hey, that was really good. Like, you know, fairly certain they'll probably book with me so long as the price isn't like way out of like what they were expecting or it's like uh like those like all right but like i don't know like <laughs> maybe that's another thing too is that um before before someone listens to this podcast goes and is like oh i'm gonna go you know read a you know the top 50 real estate books do you know what i wish i had done in hindsight is i wish that i had of listened to you know the top 50 initial calls you know, on the recordings because, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't until last at the beginning of last year that I actually learned how to do a proper initial call. Like imagine how much more money I'd have (laughs) if I was doing that. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it's like the priorities here. Like if I could go back in time, I would have, you know, I would have focused more of my reading on becoming better at my craft because it wasn't until I actually, I mean, getting good at initial calls has been so crazy for my business because it's, it's allowed me to work way less because I can book way more. I mean, this year has been just, to be honest, it's, it, it doesn't like, it, it doesn't even actually sound true. Like if I told you right now that I'm booked at $675,000 March 1st, on like March 1st, you'd call me a fucking liar. Like, and I would have called that's you insane. a liar as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Like I'm going to do, I'm going to book more in my preseason than I did in revenue for the first, because I'm going to do about a million dollars in 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 sales probably this this preseason. So, uh, my first what was it, what my first uh, I don't have a calculator on me. Uh, what would be a hundred? Uh, call it uh, two two fifty uh, four seventy. Basically, it took me five years, effectively four and a half years to book. To book what I'm going to book in this preseason for my first four years, right? So that's so in hindsight, I would try and do that. Like I would try and learn the skills that I learned because it, it, oh, it's yeah. not like I, yeah, but it wasn't like I did like things for six years and I just got better finally my seventh year. It's like I I was doing things a certain way for six years and then I learned how to do it properly, you know, or or sorry. I was willing to learn it properly because I mean, Corey, <laughs> I'm sure has beat me over the head a million times of like, yeah. like it took me three years to start using a client manual. I remember he's told that story so many times. <laughs> Wasn't it Jordan who had to show up one time to a quote and say, Hey, you should use this. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was like, idea. that was like Corey's big thing. And it was like, like I like would refuse to use a client manual. Cause like, it's stupid. I, like, why would you use it? Like whatever. Right. Like, and, uh, and I remember like, Corey like just like just giving up on it because he's like this kid just isn't gonna listen and then Jordan came by one time and was like oh you don't use a client manual like look how much better this is and it was like way better and then and then um and then I was like called Corey I'm like dude I'm using a client manual it's the best thing ever like Jordan totally helped me out and Corey's like <laughs> he's like fuck me whatever I don't even care I don't he's like fuck you I don't even care <laughs> yeah he's like I don't even give a shit yeah, yeah it's funny because like that's like again like it's stripping it back to like how 
like with with like last year you really focused more on just like being really really great at everything you were doing right imagine like like you said like imagine if you were focused more on that of like and being open to like the the idea of like just being so much better at everything you were doing and understanding the full picture of it earlier like how much further ahead that you could be right yeah it's interesting right and it's 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 fascinating how much um how much unlearning we have to do sometimes like people are always focused on learning more you also have to unlearn things right there's a there's there's a certain way of doing things that you just kind of get used to that you know uh like tristan one thing that tristan's really kind of helped open my eyes up to is and he says this quite often which is that what got you to where you are now isn't going to get you to to where you want to go next and that's sort of the story of my painting career so far is that after like one season i i knew that i had messed up and i was like okay i can't do that anymore if i want to do you know 260 i gotta be better so i did 167 and i was like okay i left a lot on the table but like i can't do that again if i'm gonna do better i gotta i gotta gotta do something different so i again i improved right i I started adopting more i mean effectively the first five years was just me going from being a total dipshit to just actually following all the systems so it just took me five years to just get on that train yeah yeah. (laughs) um but then it's like every but then it's like every year i would not change quote unquote but drastically improve upon and but there was leaps like the first three years i would say i didn't really change fundamentally too much but going from um 300 to 467 i had to change a lot of my philosophies to go from 467 to 801 i had to change i mean i had to, i had, i had to act as if i was a rookie again right I, I wanted to be most improved right and so that was that was a big step for me to like really get into the mindset of like like at one point, I remember, I, I luckily I didn't do this because it, it would have been kind of weird, but I was going to show up to training and act as if I was a rookie. I was going to shake everyone's yeah, hand. Like, I, hey, I'm like, I was going to I was gonna act as if it was like Corey, like I I never met the guy before because I really wanted to like almost like method act that and like really get into the mind. And I basically did. I mean, I didn't actually show up to training and, and, and act as if I didn't know anyone and as if I was a rookie, but my mind was there. That's where I was at mentally, that I was a rookie, that I was going to try and go for most improved, right? So, um, cause I had to have that mindset, right. And then when I went from ditching the whole like aggressiveness to then swapping over to being, okay, like I want to be a man of peace. I want to, you know, it's like, I'd rather be, you know, a warrior in the garden than, than, uh, than a gardener in the war kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and so it's like, I'm still a warrior, but I've built myself a bit of a garden. Right. And, and then this, this year has been totally transformational for me so far because it's i've really proven to myself that i that i that i don't lose my edge when i um focus on being more precise rather than volume because remember the whole revenue problem yeah i'm trying to be less of a i'm still a volume guy but i'm trying to be more of like a like a almost more like a samurai than than like a gatling gun guy you know yeah yeah. (laughs) just like Mm -hmm. yeah spinning it out and, um, but, but it's, but here I am. Right. And it's like, you know, in order for me to transition to the next step of my business, I really have to transform myself again. Right. I mean, but I even like, I, um, uh, and one thing we haven't really talked about is habits because that's one thing that, that has, 
also uh, changed drastically over the years is is my habits, right? And but it has to do with reinventing myself. Like even something like you know, I wanted to like really prove to myself that I could I could do something different, right? And and really really adopt a different persona and really try and get behind a different way of being, you know. And so I stopped running. Actually, five months ago I stopped running. I haven't I haven't I have not run a single kilometer in five months. Oh wow. Yep. For what reason? I'm only weightlifting now. What like what was that okay. transition so, for you? Yeah, because because I, I want because I because there was a certain way that I saw myself. I always saw myself as an endurance guy, but I don't want to be an endurance guy anymore. I want to be a man like I want to be a powerful man. So like my goal is to show up at at uh, at at uh, volleyball looking like Jonas. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so hold me to it because if I don't look like Jonas, or, well maybe not quite like Jonas Stark. I mean that. He's know, pretty. Jeans he's pretty too. ripped, man. That's hard work and jeans. Yeah. That's hard work and jeans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. If, I don't know if I don't know if I got that in me. But point being, though, I've only been weightlifting, so I've just been, you know. But that was a big transition for me, right? To go from, you know, effectively, I'd never really lifted any weights in my entire life, other than a little bit in high school, right? Because that's just what you did. Um, to you know, running these marathons, uh, and I did run an ultra, by the way, O'Connor, and and so, mm. to now transitioning to only lifting weights right it's like but it's like i'm doing that because it's helping me uh in other areas of my life of like okay like i can drop the whole i'm i'm a marathon runner identity i can i can drop the endurance and i can be a weightlifting guy you know Mm -hmm. and in the same way that i can drop being an employee of my business and i can allow other people to do it better Right. And that's what I'm transitioning towards. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. So how do you feel physically since you started lifting weights instead of running? Much more powerful. Like what are the biggest changes you've noticed? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's kind of, there's a lot of different ways you could kind of, you could, <laughs> you could do that. But, but I mean, it, it's, it's benefited my life in a lot of ways. I mean, I, um, The reason why I ask is because I've made the shift backwards slightly. I haven't, I, in the past year and a bit, I picked up running. I hadn't, basically never ran. I only lifted weights for eight or nine years. And then I'm pretty sure it was right in the beginning of COVID when you put up your, uh, your, your John Morgan challenge that I started running for that month. Um, my second day ever going for a run, run more than a kilometer was with Riley and he killed me that on a hill in Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> that knee, that, that knee was, was clicking noise. fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, and I find that when I started focusing so much more on, on running than just weightlifting, I, you, you're right in saying that there's, there's a sense of powerfulness that comes from when you're solely lifting weights but I find that my body feels a lot more swift now that I've introduced a lot more running and endurance and cardio into my mix. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, it may be the case that I'm still just in really good shape from all the running that I did. Um, but I, it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of people about this, um, and and because there's a you know some people that say like running is like I I find running like I um. Like one thing that I'm enjoying about the weightlifting is that I, I, it gets me in my body more and I, and I've spent, I spend a lot of time and I have spent a lot of time in my head 
and it's not it's always the true. most pleasant place to be. And so being in my body for an hour is a bit of a break sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and I and I enjoy that. Hmm. It's it's a lot more of a, of a physical physical push and physical exertion than running is. I found that when I was running, I had to find things to distract myself to really just keep my mind busy because I was just so in my head the entire time. But when I'm lifting weights, I just get, I can, I can get in. It doesn't matter what, if I'm listening to something, if I'm not what I'm listening to, it doesn't really matter because it's just such a, a, like you said, an in your body feeling. It comes down to like brute strength, right? So, Totally. And how much has your nutrition changed since you started lifting weights versus running? Well, so yeah, so that also, so again, like reinventing myself. So I, I, uh, I, uh, don't cook anymore. There's no, we don't do any cooking in our house anymore. Okay. So every single meal that I eat is prepared for me. So I, I, uh, I, there's a meal prep uh, service that I use and basically they they cook pre-cook all of our food and we pick them up on Sundays and Wednesdays and they just come in these little containers um, and they basically just tell you all the macros on them and like the calories and everything like that and they're all gluten-free you know and dairy like they're all very you know very healthy in general um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah they're all in it you just you just they're all like made by uh, Red Seal chefs they're fantastic food right but uh, yeah, they're all different various meals, and 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 so I pick them up. Well, Trisha picks them up every Wednesday and Sunday, and um, yeah, and so every single time I want to eat, I uh, just walk over to the fridge and pull one out, put it in the microwave for a minute and thirty seconds, and I eat it. So, eating is now a less than ten minute endeavor at any given moment. Wow. Okay, so since since it's so fast now, do you find that you're eating a lot more than you used to? Oh yeah, well I have to eat way more because like of how much I'm lifting. So like not only am I eating like a lot of those like you know at least three of those a day but i also find that i'm having to eat like a lot more just like in general right but it's also kind of nice because when i go mm-hmm. out i can get cheesecake every time i go out because i'm just like just trying to gain weight it, it, yeah it's so more like just, tracking i can I, calories right i'm to be honest i'm just stuffing my face as much as i want F- just, there's enough, no limit to how much i can eat yeah like i'm like right now like i i've already had dinner twice today and I, i'm like i'm gonna eat more <laughs> like you know, so I'm just trying to like really put on that weight and really just try and change how I look. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. And like, I know you said you wanted to look like Jonas Stark. Are you using like the same kind of program as him, or like, do you like, are you doing it yourself, or do you have like a trainer? No, or, like, no, what are you no. Doing? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I just use like an app that's like a personal okay. training app. It's like five dollars a month, and then I have a friend who's, uh, who's, um, has a body that I want, and he's just a phenomenal. Yeah phenomenal athlete he's a crossfit dude just j- 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 jacked he used to be like a male stripper actually it's just like a like so he used to like do like bachelor uh, bachelorette parties where he'd like be the dude like like in a thong you know like he's that he's that good looking and that jacked <laughs> they'd have the confidence that people would pay him to be like to be in like a thong like, you know like that's 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 a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say like there's not too many guys that like would like <laughs> that females would be willing to pay to see you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, whereas, like, basically any chick could get paid to be, you know, in a thong. I, I'd pay to see Corey in a thong for sure, though. Like, that would be a... I, yeah, Corey, I would. <laughs> I would pay it. Uh, I don't know about a thong, though. I think I'd rather go, like, the cheeky ones, you know. Yeah, but, fair enough. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say that hairy ass, but, but, um, but, uh, anyway, so he's, but this, so this guy, his name is Jared. He, he's been helping me. 
Um, and so he comes over every few weeks and, and like watches my form and, you know, makes sure that I'm all, you know, good to go and whatnot. So, and he, and cause he, he's, he's like, he like works at a gym. He's like super knowledgeable. Yeah. The reason I ask is cause like, I know like you've put a lot of obviously like, uh, like money and investment into like, you know, um, growing your knowledge. But like, I just wanted to see like where that value sat with your own like physique, you know, cause I remember I bought a home gym. Okay. So I have a whole, I have a whole home gym. I spent like 2,500 bucks getting a whole, a whole gym set up. So I have all the weights, Olympic barbell, nice. Olympic plastic, you know, rubber weights, mats, a squat rack, the whole, the whole, you know, a bench, the whole, the whole Literally shebang. Everything. So I'm able okay. to do all my workouts at home. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So that's very, cool. yeah, very committed. Yeah. So that way when I, cause now basically like I'm able to, cause now I don't, I don't have to drive to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. So I can just get up in the morning, read, do a workout, get to work. But so like there's no, you know, and, and like right now, for example, like if I wanted to after this call, I can go eat and I can just go do, you know, I could go do some more squats. Sure. Right. And I don't have to like, but like, like, you know, if you're going to go to the gym, it's like you basically have to go for like an hour to make it worthwhile because you got to drive 15 minutes there, 15 yeah, minutes yeah. back. But I can just go and just quickly just throw up, you know, just throw up a couple of sets on the bench just just casually because it's it's a it's it there's no there's no opportunity there's no uh weight you know? yeah sure yeah well the reason i ask is because like i remember uh, a couple like i think it was two years ago before like i was actually like you know more more set on trying to like actually care about changing the way that like i looked and like actually like put time and effort towards it sure and uh i remember jacob once he told me he's like imagine if you put like the focus and effort in like financial um, aspect into like actually changing your physique and like caring about your health that you do into your business. And like, I never thought about that that way. He's like, imagine how fit you'd be if you actually gave a shit enough about like your health and, and working out and making that a priority in your life as you do putting that time into your actual business. Yeah, man, totally. And that's, and that's, um, that's part of like why I think I'm enjoying my life so much right now is because my painting business no longer takes up 80% of my time. You know, like I get to spend, you know, I, I get to work out as much as I want every week. I get, you know, I, I get to, you know, read as much as I want. I get to spend time on on the things that I like. I get to work in my painting business and I love, and I get to, I'm only doing the things that I love in my painting business. I only get to do the, like, like the sales and marketing, are the only things I enjoy, right? So I, that's, the, that's mm-hmm. all the business needs me for right now, which is fantastic, right? And I get to spend tons of time with, uh, with Trisha. And so it's, it, it's made for a really good life in that sense, because I'm getting to spend the, an, an adequate amount of time in all of the aspects of my like health, wealth, love, and happiness. I get to spend an adequate amount of time in all of those categories. And I don't have any of the fluff. Like I, I've just eliminated all of the miscellaneous items. Like there's no like there's nothing on my schedule that I don't want to do or that I, that's not contributing. Like there's no, um, yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense? There's no fluff in it anymore. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Like I've eliminated, like I, I'm kind of on the last frontier. Like I, I, I try and like, I, I've been doing this thing for like several years now, like called the weekly rhythm register. I don't know if you guys have yeah. heard of that. I've never heard I, of it. I, no. Oh, it's like, um, there's like this book called um i don't know if i have it actually i usually have one next to me but it's called the compound effect by darren hardy yeah yeah and there's this idea of the uh, weekly written register where you just track your behaviors that you need to track towards how you're going to hit your positive goals and different aspects of your life and then um there's like i'm usually working on like some negative habits so like for example 
like when I first started the weekly rhythm register, I was smoking a pack a day. Yeah. So that was like the, the first thing that I tried to like eliminate. Um, but like everyone has, you know, different bad habits they're trying to eliminate. And so the, the last kind of stand, the last, like from here on out, it's like, it's, it's going to be like, there's a bunch of smaller things that I'm trying to like pick away. Although there's, it's funny though. Cause like when you, as you get, a, get rid of more and more bad habits, you realize how many more you have. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Because like when you smoke a pack a day, it's like, you don't notice that you check your email a lot <laughs> because like smoke yeah because smoking is such a bad thing so like as you eliminate things you get more and more nitpicky right so it got to the point where i was like you know what gotta get rid of youtube and that was a hard one for me so i'm only like this is um i'm on uh 72 days clean of youtube that's impressive not even a minute no no Hmm. good for you yeah that's cool but that was the last frontier that was the last thing i was trying to get rid of yeah. When you talk about cutting out all the fluff, what does your daily routine look like now, John? Super straightforward. So I wake up every morning at six and I read until basically until I have some sort of obligation, which is either. So on Mondays, I get a massage at 730 and then I go and then I go to the, I go to the gym. Right, I come home and work out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um sorry, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I I read and then work out. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I read until about roughly eight, eight or eight eight to nine. Um, And I usually work out at eight as well. Um, And then uh, from there, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, I'm usually calling leads um, after reading a little bit after my workout or usually like a, or, or sometimes I'll do like a really long meditation. I usually meditate in the morning or do a long meditation before calling leads or both. Then after calling leads, depending on how many leads I have to call and how I feel for the day, because some days I, some days I, you know, if I don't have a lot of estimates scheduled in the afternoon, so like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I usually don't have any estimates. So like sometimes I'll do what's called like, I call it like a chill session, like a chill, like a chill calling session. So like what I'll do is like, I'll call, make calls for an hour, read for half an hour, have lunch, go back and make another hour of calls, meditate for a little bit, do another half an hour of calls. You know, like it's just like make like so like make it a little bit more casual. Yeah. And then um, usually there's like very I, I try and like do all my meetings on Mondays. So like if I have to like meet anyone or do banking, you know, bullshit or just like you know, just, like there's just like when you like have a lot going on, it's usually like meetings that you just like come up, you know. So I try and do most of those like Monday afternoons, and then Tuesday afternoons I typically will try and do like um long form meetings so like this like for example this is a tuesday so like here we are with a podcast because i don't mind you know yeah. and then wednesdays uh is usually when i do my big call day so that's when i actually just sit down and just like burn through my whole lead list again and just try and really hash through and then i usually take the afternoon off and just basically just read and work out and things like that um and then spend i spend almost all my evenings with trisha by the way so like six usually like six or seven p.m if she's not working, I usually spend 6 p.m. until we go to bed, which go to bed at 9. Or if she's working, she gets off at 7, and then I spend the rest of my evening with her. Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. Thursday mornings, same thing, you know, work out, read. But then Thursdays, I call leads. And then, and then I usually do estimates from, like, roughly 1 p.m. until about 5 or 6. If I have board game nights, I usually like doing them on Thursday nights. Fridays, typically, I'm going to, you know, read until about eight or nine, then do estimates until I basically, until it's dark out. 
and then usually spend the evening with Trisha, usually doing a date night, depends on her work schedule. And then mm-hmm. Saturday in a perfect world is full day of estimates or calling leads in between estimates. And then Sunday, I take a full day off, which means read in the morning until until about nine or so, do a workout, and then usually do something with Trisha. So like this last weekend, we drove, drove down to Penticton, had a really good lunch, went for a walk. Penticton's like a 45 hour, it's like an hour drive. Mm-hmm. So usually her and I will do something. So like in the summer, for example, on Sundays, we usually go to like, go to like a beach and just like kind of like suntan and like swim in the lake and stuff like that it's so funny because yeah. it's like you know snowing here so like it's funny to think that you guys can go suntan <laughs> no no in the no, summer oh, okay right i was like not that's right not right a good yeah, no 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 i said in the summer yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah okay fair <laughs> no no but we are gonna start next years in like two weeks wow that's crazy that's wild and then, so with your time with Trisha, John, you spend mostly every evening with her, which is awesome. Um, I'm, I'm assuming the answer to this is going to be no, but have you seen any changes or do you anticipate to see any changes with any of that now that you are engaged? I'm not sure what you mean. Um, I, I guess like so many times in a lot of my friends' relationships, that when when they've gotten engaged when they've gotten married there's been certain noticeable changes in terms of their scheduling with their relationship in terms of no. how much time they spend together different things like that yeah i mean to be honest it, it's it's quite possible that i'm just unaware of this you know this this thing that you're you're referring to but i would say that you know um it's been quite the opposite you know, like I would say that our sex has been the best it's ever been. Yeah. Like we've been spending more time together um, post engagement. Um, so that's what I've been no. hoping to hear. Yeah, no, no. Honest. Well, the thing about Trisha too is like, um, she she has grown so much as an individual. Like the same way. Like so, this is one thing that like you would never really. Again, because like there's not like an like you know like for for me it's like most people can like look at it and be like oh like John's revenue went from like you know X amount to X amount he must have grown so much right and you and you know people hear me on the podcast so like it's it's pretty obvious like if if I'm not growing or if I am growing like that's one of the things with the podcast is like it's kind of forces me to grow because I don't want to be that dude who like yeah which is shows up and cool. just like repeats yeah exactly yeah 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 the podcast is kind of like a that's another thing too like the podcast has been like super interesting that way like where it's it's that's a big part of my life every Sunday right um every Sunday evening we do that but yeah um do meeting with Jocelyn every Sunday too three thirty but um so. Trisha, in my opinion, has made even more growth than I have as an individual in a lot of ways. Yeah. The other thing about Trisha too is that she has really committed to growing her butt. And like I like I love asses. Like asses are just a fantastic thing. <laughs> and and so she's really committed to no, but she's no, but Trisha has like I mean like in, you know how you said like what if like you know, you focus on your health as much as, you know, but Trisha, like her business is her ass, you know, like, (laughs) so yeah. Yeah. Right. So like, but like, but like, I'm like such a, I feel like such a blessed man in the sense that I'm able to provide enough resources and like have a home gym that like, I'm hoping like, you know, like I'm hoping that like, so so I'm able to provide her with the best food, you know, and like every, you know, everything's the best of the best for her to like, like, if there ever was an environment where an ass would get large and perfect, 
this is the environment and that's what's happening right so <laughs> and and so yeah yeah and i also started dating or i also started dating trisha when i was 20 right so like her her body has matured a lot over the last three years so what i'm saying is as a man i i bought in at a good time you know what i mean like so i, <laughs> yeah, I i've yeah. i've reaped i've reaped the rewards of of her really growing that um and so but but so but but, but, but i mean it, you know and it's, a lot of people would like find this like kind of like taboo but like i i find her more attractive than ever like like every single night like when i'm like laying in bed reading and i like you know she like comes over you know she like comes to the door and she's like you know i see her you know mm-hmm. like like our boyfriend should see her i look over I'm like fuck yeah man you know like i'm just stoked right i'm like you know this is yeah, awesome yeah. right like that's what's coming to bed to me every night right i'm so super stoked about that right so um no our relationship has been like the best it's ever been that way and we're having you know more meaningful conversations than we've ever had before as well um like i feel like we're really starting to it's almost like we're actually like like i mean not that we didn't know each other prior to getting engaged but if anything like now that it's like okay well like fucking 52 years man so let's figure this shit out <laughs> you know yeah yeah like yeah. it's yeah and then i also feel like too like for her like this is i think this is more of a female thing than a male thing because i mean like i was pretty much set on like like her is the one like a couple years back like i'm a pretty simple guy like i you know it's not like you know like all my boxes were checked off i was gonna go it was actually her that wanted to wait for the engagement interesting okay yeah yeah she wanted to wait till she was graduated which is such a funny thing yeah okay <laughs> uh, right so, sense, so. I get that. Yeah. whereas i was good to go like i was like you know a year and a half ago i was like i'm good to go right yeah. so anyway so but now that she has this ring it's like like I mean, it makes sense if you think about it. Like, I mean, like from a biological standpoint, like I had to sacrifice a pretty significant amount of my resources in order to buy this ring for her. So it's like, there is like a yeah. commitment, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, financially, but also like, also just like the, 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 um, the meta, like uh, the symbolic value of a ring, you know? So like mm-hmm. that also helps the relationship in the sense that like, she knows that I'm fully committed now. Right. Yeah. Because yeah like i mean like charlie munger says like if there's ever one time to be somewhat irrational and not take the lowest bid it's when buying an engagement ring and i think that you know it was interesting enough like i i thought i was gonna be that guy who was like not into the whole engagement ring thing like i was like i was like i don't know about this at first right but you know the more that i um kind of became vulnerable to like the irrational side of me a little bit or just like in like kind of like the more I realized that it, it's kind of, uh, it actually does mean, it, it actually me- it meant a lot to me that I was able to get her the ring I got her, you know, like it, like it meant a lot to myself and, and where we're at in our relationship. And I also thought it was like kind of a bit of a, because I wanted to get a ring that was like worthy of being passed down for generations, you know, mm-hmm. and, and um, I, but because I wanted it to be a bit of a monument to like the, the to the success because Tr- Trisha started dating me when I, when I had just finished 300, doing 300,000. Mm-hmm. And so here we are, you know, well on our way to 1.5 million and, and all the other growth that we've experienced, you know, together. So like not only just financially, but also just from a personal standpoint, you know, like uh, just improving our characters. So I wanted it to be like a bit of a monument to the the prosperity that we've experienced over the last four years. Right. And um, and I got the ring engraved, which I thought was also a bit symbolic, too. Uh, it, it was the founding motto of the of America, which is pluribus unum which means out of many one yeah that's very cool yeah hmm. i love that yeah it's cool to see all those changes you know obviously over the last couple of years it's cool to like look back and like see 
how much growth you've actually like not just you but like also seeing the growth in another individual over the course of so many years that you've kind of been able to experience yeah man and i'm so proud of her like for that i mean like when i first started dating her like she was just like a, a like a, a first year undergraduate and here's now she's like a full-time nurse at the hot we live two blocks from the hospital but she you know, she walks to the hospital every day. She's a nurse. Like, dude, like she goes to the hospital and like people rely on her to not die. Like that's like it's pretty intense. Like, yeah. It's so it's insane. So cool. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. so insane. Like she'll come back and like, like people have like, you know, I think they're their, like their legs chopped off because they had frostbite. And I'm like, Jesus, man, like you're equipped with the skills to like know what to do. Like you can put like an IV into someone like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I, I don't yeah. know. I've always been blown away by like, I don't know about you guys, but like, there's like certain jobs that I'm like, man, that's so impressive, you know? Like nursing is one of those ones where I'm like, dude, that's so cool that like you can do that, you know? <laughs> like you actually like like if, if you put me in a yeah. nursing setting, I'd be a complete fucking liability, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I'd be like the fuck, you know? I'd be like, what the hell, you know? But like also like 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 jet plane like jet pilots and like like anyone that can fly a plane or drive a hel or fly a helicopter is like such a badass in my yeah. opinion. Like dude, that's so epic that you can like you like literally like this thing you can fly it in the air. Like, it is. I, I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was a kid so bad. Yeah, man. Like, that's one of those things that I just get, like, I, maybe I'm just eat like, there's certain things that just don't impress me. But, like, like if someone's like, oh, I'm a stockbroker, I'm like, who cares, dude? Like, whatever. Like, it's <laughs> it's cool. Like, okay, Wolf of Wall Street. Like, haha, like, it's cool. You probably make some money. But, like, that dude can, like, take a jet and fly to fucking Russia right now. Like, what? <laughs> like, or, like, a helicopter. Like, that dude can, like, go up in the air and he can come back down. Like, that's just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like, a, like the child in me, but like I find that shit so impressive, right? Or like, like or like I met like I had like a client that was an open heart surgeon. I'm like, dude, you can cut someone open, like and like work on their heart. Like what? <laughs> like, like that's like, like that's so beyond. Like, you know what I mean? Like I feel like, yeah. like I, yeah, it's inconceivable. Like it's like like I could figure. Like I feel like I could figure out how to be a stockbroker. I could figure out how to do a lot of things. But like open heart surgery is like, dude, like that's a commitment. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Yeah. Well, like a passion, right? Like kind of like how you're passionate about like, you know, all this other other things like that guy's significantly compassionate at like saving people's lives in that specific way, which is super cool. Do you think I'm passionate though? Yeah, like in your own way. I, I would say so. Like you're obviously like, like I think the passion comes from wanting to be a better person, not necessarily passionate about like specifically painting, but passionate about like actually like wanting to continue to see growth and, and be like you know a, a better and better version of like john every year yeah i suppose i would agree to that yeah because i mean passion like there's like, there's like certain words that i try and like not use a lot like so passion is one of them and so is motivation those are like two words that i try and not use a lot because they're i find that passion and like there's certain words I try and avoid because I find that they're more likely to be used in a sentence that contains an excuse than not. Mm -hmm. So passion and motivation to me are more likely used. Like, so like passion and motivation is ironic because it's like, like the definition of passion or motivation. Like when people think of passion, when they think of motivation, they think of like someone achieving, right? Like he's so motivated, right? He's so passionate. Like he's doing what he wants to do. But Basically, anyone that I know that's doing what they want to do or that is doing it because, you know, or, or is like effectively just doing it when they need to do it never uses any of those two words really, right? Mm -hmm. And so I find that the, the two most common uses for those words is someone saying why they can't do something. 
oh, well, man, I just wasn't motivated today, man. Or, man, I'm just trying to find my motivation. Or, like, yeah, man, like, I'm, I just, I can't wait till I find something I'm passionate about. And Fair. what I have found mm-hmm. in my life is that I'm most motivated to do things that I'm good at. And I'm most passionate about things that I'm good at, right? Like, like I remember one time, Connor, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember one time we were like on a beach, right? Like I just like, I like to, you know, I, we're on a beach in Mexico and I was like, do you guys, I was like, do you guys just want to do something where there's a winner and a loser? And you guys are like, what? Like, and I was like, yeah, let's, yeah, let's have a this. foot race. Yeah. Right. I was like, let's just fucking have a foot race. I, yeah. who, I don't even know who I raced, but like, but I'm a fast runner. So it's like, I was motivated and passionate about beating that person in a foot race, right? Like, yeah. but like, <laughs> you know, so I try and not use those words, even though they're super popular right now, because I, I, I find that they're just mostly used in existence. There's like a misconception about them, I guess, or like a... A misconception, but also like... Um, Lack of understanding. Like, I really like what Cal Newport... Yeah, I like what Cal Newport says about passion, which is that like, like he, 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 has, he has, I think he wrote a book about it, like, don't find your passion or something like that which is like the best title ever. But um, I think the premise, basically the premise of the book was like, it's like, look at, it's like most people think that like they need to find their passion in order to be motivated to do the work. When in fact, if you find something and get really good at it, you'll become passionate and motivated to do it. <laughs> so it's like people usually have it the reverse. Like they're, they're constantly trying to find this sweet spot. It's like, I'm a big believer that like, like, pretty much anything you do 95% of it is going to be not what you probably wanted to do and only 5% of it's going to be like the sweet spot like the like the dream part of it right yeah yeah which is kind of like you know like in in your position i guess like what you're trying to find right is that 5% am i correct in well, saying that well no but no but even then though even the next aspect of what i do, like i i'm keep whittling it down but like if you think about it like like think about how much of Tiger Woods' career has been spent actually hitting that game-winning putt, or like most most of it's or or making that big shot on TV. Most of his career, yes, he's playing golf, is just practicing. <laughs> yeah. Like Oprah Winfrey, it's like she had a thirty-minute show once a week. What the fuck did she do for the rest of her week? Yeah, <laughs> probably lots of paperwork and lots of business building, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, and, and with with Usain training for 10, 20 years to run for what was it up one hundred and ninety seconds in the Olympics or something? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's yeah, that's one of the best examples. Yeah, that's one of the best examples, right? So, you know, um, yeah, trying to get good at things and trying to not get hung up on. Like, I think one of the most underrated virtues in in modern society is called resolve. And I like Benjamin Franklin's definition of resolve, which is that resolve is knowing what you need to do and doing it when you ought to do it. Nowhere in there did he say, find what you're passionate about and be motivated to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Fair. Okay, guys. Um, it was a really good chat. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was. Is there any any last thoughts you'd like to leave listeners with, John? Yeah, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that I don't think 
that we need to suffer as much as we do to do what we want to do. Hmm. I love that. You can suffer less and still accomplish what you want to accomplish. Just need to find like a different way of doing it. Or a different way of thinking about it. Like I, I, I just think about how much I've suffered mentally and and most people probably like when I use the word suffering mentally, I think most I think most human it, it, it's it's this fascinating thing. It's like if you were to like go walk into a mall, okay, and you were to just like look around and there's just tons of people walking by, right? Just all these different people, right? Most of those people are completely consumed by negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. Agreed. They're and and if you were to go into a room full of student works painting operators, most of those people are fully consumed by negative thoughts. If you were to just, if I was to just randomly pop into, you know, a random student works operators day at a random time, there's probably some suffering going on. And I just don't know if it's, 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 I have this thing where, cause either one, I'm just suffering mentally and no one else is, or we're all fucking suffering mentally and none of us want to talk about it. And, and, and my, my, my theory is, is that no one wants to talk about it because everyone thinks that it's weird to suffer. But I think that we all do. It's, it's the human condition. And I think that those things should be talked about more often. I think that like, not like in a, not like in a mental health way, but like in a, there's so much suffering in our imagination that's not actually present in our reality. Yes. Like there's so many people that are like fearful of something happening that's not going to happen. Like like there's like think about how many student works operators are stressed about not booking work this weekend. A lot like everyone probably. Yeah, every but single like, one. But like so that's what I mean by like leaving us with the thoughts of like I think you can do it without the suffering. Because I've cuz like yeah, like I I I've 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 minimized the suffering and my results have multiplied. Which is amazing. Yeah, that's great. That is. Okay. Thank you very much for coming on here. Yeah, thanks so much, John. It's been a really awesome chat and we really appreciate you coming on and and spending the two and a half hours with us today. (laughs) Okay. Cheers, boys. Awesome. Have a great rest of your day. We're going to leave you today the same way that we leave you every episode. We hope you have a good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and we will see you again on the next episode of The Edge Podcast. For more of our content, follow us on Instagram at The Edge Pod. If you found value in this episode, please remember to rate, subscribe, and share as it allows us to organically grow our following.